Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. One semester of law school. One hundred percent owner of this podcast. Oh my God. Two experts. <laughs> I'm Kristen Caruso. I'm Daryl Pitts. Let's, Let's go, go to, to court. court. On this episode, I'll talk about Sonny Vaughn Below. And I'll be talking about a real estate mogul who has been named to two different magazines' top 10 lists, and not in a good way. That was the least snappy intro I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going for snappy. I'm going for informative. Dad, welcome to the podcast. Great to be on again. Third time, I believe, on the podcast. I'm excited to be here, Kristen. Oh, so you're happy Brandy has COVID. Well, well, well let me ask. How's Brandy doing? <laughs> Why not just say no? <laughs> um, okay, so serious time. Brandy is doing much better. Wait a minute. This Brandy. She used to be on the podcast? Yeah, she's not anymore. Oh, okay. Because you're taking over. Well, yeah. You know, in fact, this 100% deal. Uh-huh. You know what? Norman was 50. I was 50. Uh-huh. I brought half a Minsky's pizza and some leftover Taco Bell and bought 50% of the podcast. That would not surprise me at all. <laughs> no, go back back to Brandy. Back to Brandy. Oh, How's she doing? Oh, that's so good of you. Because um, I was really excited to have you on as 100% owner because I've been so impressed with your professionalism this week. In what way? Well, <laughs> we record every Wednesday. Yeah. I said, Dad, do you want to be on Wednesday's episode? He said, absolutely. Talk to you Tuesday night. What happened? Well, I hadn't prepared anything. <laughs> you were like, oh, and when did we record? Oh, oh, hmm. That retired life. You know, I, I'm not only retired, I'm lazy. I was lazy when I worked. So now mm-hmm. that I don't have anything that I have to do, no deadlines, giving me any kind of a deadline is really a problem for me. Not that it so stresses. So it was my mistake. It was your mistake. <laughs> not that it stresses me. It's just I don't do anything. Well, how could you be stressed if you totally ignore the deadline? <laughs> That's right. That's right. So I do apologize for that, Kristen. I'm, okay, so we're, we're recording a day late uh-huh. uh, so I could prepare something yesterday. <laughs> Guys, prepare for a great episode. Oh, no, it kicks butt. It kicks oh, butt. Oh, yeah, you know, it's, confidence. It's, it's, it's going to be a good episode. But, it, well, I, I took like eight hours yesterday. I, mm-hmm. I ran through it a couple times today. Mm-hmm. So I spent some time on this thing. Okay. I didn't just throw this thing together. Right. Well, I'm excited. I, for one, am excited. And Brandy. So the deal with Brandy is she's doing much better than she was. But I am going to say, just because our president has tweeted that COVID is nothing to be afraid of, this is the sickest that Brandy has ever been in her life. And, you know, she's been sick before. So her message that she shared on Twitter and that I just want to share for everyone on the podcast is COVID is absolutely something you should be afraid of. And we should be wearing masks and taking precautions and... Chances are, dear listener, if you get COVID, you won't be helicoptered out to the best medical care in the country. So take care of yourself. You know, with Trump, he's so, so big, so strong, so masculine. Oh, God. Such a total stud Mm -hmm. that I'm surprised that COVID reached out and grabbed him. Now, 
<laughs> I don't know how it grabbed him. Stop it. But I think it reached out and grabbed him. Uh-huh. In some way. Okay. And got him. Uh-huh. But the good news is, well— It didn't even ask. It just it went di- for it. It. Didn't, it didn't ask. And here's the deal. COVID-19, it's like a celebrity virus. Okay. <laughs> celebrity viruses, they don't ask. They uh-huh. don't have to. Mm-hmm. They just reach out and grab you. I think this joke has run its course. <laughs> and that's what happened with— Dear our dear leader. So, okay, yeah, poor Donald. Glad Brandy's doing better. That's that's yeah. great news. Before you get going to your case, yeah, I have to do something very embarrassing that I don't want to do at all. Okay, and I've been nervous about it all day. Oh. No, for real, no. Oh. Okay, go ahead. This is very embarrassing. Okay, dear father, in last week's episode, I made in Ruth Bader Ginsburg's case, I made some jokes, and. For every time a man said something sexist to her, I joked that he had recently banged his micro penis. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny, although it came up a lot. Well, so here's, here's why I'm bringing it up. I'm bringing it up because, first of all, I knew when I made those jokes that they were mean. Um, and they're body shaming jokes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did it anyway because I thought it was funny, which is not okay. Um, But someone reached out and mentioned something that I hadn't even considered, which is that most people with micropenises are intersex. Um, And so long story short, I feel terrible about it, and I'm really sorry, and I won't make those jokes again. And to anyone who's upset about it, you should know that my punishment is I had to apologize about micropenises in front of my dad. (laughs) (laughs) This. And, you know, you're using a more professional term now because you said micropene. Dad, don't, said. don't like re-offend. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just I'm making sure you were held accountable for what oh, you actually said. Oh, well, thank said. you, Dad. Anyway, I'm glad you were here. You know what? You had asked if you wanted if I wanted you to come in the, on that episode, but I already had all those micropenis jokes <laughs> in the script. And I was like, well, I don't want to say those in front of my dad. That'd be humiliating. And I think the only thing worse than that is having to apologize for them in front of my dad. Poor Kristen. Poor Kristen. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, I made it about me. <laughs> 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 I now have to apologize for that, too. I'm sorry, guys. I'm learning. <gasps> Shit. I just told you before we started recording that someone reached out to me and asked me to stop saying guys, like, hey, guys, oh. because it's not inclusive. And I said, okay, I will, I'll do my best, and I've already messed up in my apology for messing up on last week's episode. You know, I'm going to take part of the blame for that because I use guys as a intersex term. And that's not the proper use of the word intersex. Well, uh, a— As a gender-inclusive term. Gender-inclusive—oh, listen, yeah, I know. I need to learn the language, don't I? I use it as a gender-inclusive term, and I know it's not, technically. Uh, yeah. That's the way I use it. I probably—you've probably heard me use it like 10,000 times. I think this times. is all your fault, really. It is all my fault. Let's blame the old white guy, which is what I'm most comfortable <laughs> the with. The other thing—the other uh, offensive thing I have done in the uh-huh. past is use the term kids. And oh, I use yeah. it— when people are about your age. And so at Hallmark, when people were being hired and coming in, um, I made the mistake of saying, we've got some new kids coming in. (laughs) And and, and somebody said, whoa, whoa, kids. And I was like— And you were in what role at Hallmark? I I was a human resource manager. Mm, Yep. Uh, But I stopped doing that. Yeah. I I stopped because that was easy to stop. But guys, I probably say guys too. So No, it's going to be really difficult. Apologize. I'll apologize because I might say it today. Yeah. 
Um, I tell you what. It's tough to be corrected when you're as defensive as I am. <laughs> when we got that message today, I was like, oh, come on. And so I Googled it because I was 100% sure that, you know, that wasn't an actual problem. No, it turns out I was the asshole. <laughs> it was a total plot twist. <laughs> so anyway, I, I do want to say, you know, in addition to my apologies, I want to say thank you to those two people who reached out because I was ignorant and, you know, I'm, I'm glad we were corrected. This is and how by we, we, I mean me. <laughs> this is how we improve, is to get, get coaching and corrections. So No, because, you know, the problem is our PC culture, and everyone's so sensitive these days. Oh, poor Kristen. <laughs> I, knew it was, I knew it was not your fault, Kristen. <laughs> no, for real. Okay, and then we'll get into this. One of the reasons I wanted to apologize and I wanted to, you know, thank the people who reached out is because I hate, with a fiery passion— Especially when, like, you see it a lot with certain comedians who just, oh, people are so sensitive these days, blah, blah, blah. And what, what's re- the reality is that they are sensitive because someone has said, hey, could you maybe please not say this? And they get defensive, which I totally understand being defensive because I tried to Google to prove that someone was wrong today. <laughs> but, yeah. I even heard Dave Chappelle do that. He, he, somebody had called him out on something. I think that's so pathetic. And, yeah, to, to you show how weak you are when you get up on stage. I love Dave Chappelle. He's yeah. probably my favorite comedian. Yeah. But he got up there and kind of started whining about somebody calling him out for something. Yeah. And so I guess we're all guilty of it. And I, I think comedians, and uh, I'll include you into that, into that Thank realm, you. feel like you've got a little more leeway because it's comedy. And so I know Dave Chappelle feels like he's got more leeway because it's comedy. Um, but you might feel the same way, and that may be why you, you're more comfortable doing it. But then to be called out is, is uncomfortable. I don't, know that if it, I don't know that it is that it's comedy necessarily. I think that, like, I don't think I ever want to be called out because I feel like, well, I always have good intentions. But, of course, intentions are bullshit. You yeah. know, if you've, if you've said the wrong thing, you've said the wrong thing, and you've offended somebody. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Don't overthink it, Chris. You, you <laughs> apologized. If you're good. Well, it's okay, and we'll cut, it. we'll cut this if it goes too long, but I think it's kind of an interesting thing. Oh, okay, okay. I remember what I was going to say earlier. I think people get defensive the most when someone has made a good point. <laughs> because to me, there's nothing worse than when someone says you're wrong and you can't argue that factually. <laughs> um, we had we had someone someone was rude on Twitter the other day, and there's a certain satisfaction to being able to tell somebody off when they're just being rude, because <laughs> you were wrong. But anyway, oh, here we go. Oh, you know what's not tacky at all. What's that? Doing a very long apology and then hawking your merch. <laughs> <laughs> you have got some outstanding merch, Chris. And you're not just saying that because you're my dad. No, no, no. And the problem with the merch is I tried to buy a T-shirt and you told me it was how much? Okay, well, I told you you could have one for free. And then you started, you know, being sarcastic and blah blah And so then I said, okay, fine. Now you have to buy it and it's $20,000. And I refuse to pay twenty thousand. I've got a limit of ten thousand for a T-shirt. Oh and yeah, <laughs> I'm not paying a nickel more. And until you get your prices down, now are you? How much are you charging uh, online for that? 
Well, a special offer for our listeners. Okay. $25 per the per t-shirt. And why is mine so expensive? Cost of doing business. I'm sorry. You own 100% of the podcast. Um, I do want to talk. So we've got stickers on the website, lgtcpodcast.com, stickers and T-shirts. I wanted to shout out a sticker we have <laughs> that is, this is how creepy you people are. It's currently our second best seller on the website, and it was designed by Felicity Schlosser. Hi, Felicity. Thank you so much. It's a sledgehammer that says there was blood everywhere, and honestly... When we had it made up, I was like, well, where would anyone even put this? This is kind of a creepy sticker. Well, people are finding places to put it. They love it. It's. Wait a minute. It's not a sledgehammer. It's a meat cleaver. Oh, meat cleaver. I'm sorry. Meat cleaver. It's got the hole to be to, to hang on the wall for the meat cleaver. It's it's kind of disgusting. <laughs> but if you're into that, please head over to LGTCpodcast.com. Get yourself some merch today. Support the show. And don't forget that um, patrons at the $10 level get 10% off in the store. In addition to a monthly bonus episode, a monthly bonus video, a card, a sticker, inducted on the podcast, and they get ad-free episodes a day early. And that's my spiel. That's a good spiel. You ready to start? Yeah, you insisted on going first like some kind of diva. I am a diva. I'm going first. Okay. Kristen. Yes. We're going to talk about Leona Helmsley. Okay. Are you familiar? Well, only because you started to tell me about her the other day (laughs) on the phone, and then I was like, save it for the pod. Save it for the podcast. Uh, Leona Helmsley was a real estate tycoon. Tycoon. <laughs> and a tycoon. Oh, The cune cool. part is, is a little iffy, but definitely a real estate tycoon. And her nickname that she gave herself was Queen of the Palace. Oh. And it's because one of their hotels was the Palace Hotel in New York. Uh, however, she earned the nickname from the media and other folks as the Queen of Mean. In fact, there was a movie made called Queen of Mean about Leona Helmsley. Oh. Okay. You know, it never works out when you try to give yourself a nickname. Somebody's always going to kind of twist that on mm-hmm. you and make it look bad, aren't they? Yeah. Okay, Leona was born in 1920, and her name at that time was Lena Mindy Rosenthal. The family moved a bunch of times around in New York City. They were what I'd call middle-class folks, uh, doing okay. And Leona had a problem, though, with one of her older sisters. She was one of three sisters, the youngest. Mm -hmm. She had a problem with her, I think it was her oldest sister, who mom kind of favored a lot. Mom always told Leona how beautiful the older sister was and a source of frustration right up until until the time that uh, her mom died, which was decades later. Yeah. So rough beginning for her. And it's kind of a mom complex. She always wanted to please her mom, always wanted to do better than the sister, always mm-hmm. kind of dislike the sister. It was kind of a kind of a rough deal. Leona dropped out of high school, and it's, it's unclear why she dropped out of high school. She obviously uh, was a bright woman, was very, very successful later in life. But she dropped out and um, changed her name. It's like, so she drops out when she's like 15, 16 years old, changes her name several times, but she does away with Rosenthal altogether. She is uh-huh. done with Rosenthal. She uses the last name Roberts at this point. Uh, Did she want to not sound Jewish? I, I guess, but that huh. was never, it was never said, never okay. clear. Okay. 
uh, or whether she, you know, again, trying to get back at her parents or something. I don't know. But hmm, anyway, okay. so she's 15, 16 years old. But she's just doing these names. Uh, she goes with Lee Roberts, Mindy Roberts, which was her middle name, Lenny, L-E-N-I, hmm. uh, Roberts, and then finally Leona Roberts. So kind of grows up fast, and by 18, she marries her first husband. And uh, first husband means we're going to have multiple husbands here. Leo <laughs> Panzer. She had a 14-year marriage mm-hmm. to Leo. They had one son, and his name was Jay. She cheated a lot, kind of a serial cheater. She would go to clubs and pick up men, and that was just kind of her, her methodology. And it looks in retrospect like— <laughs> sorry. I don't think I've ever heard the word methodology applied to cheating. <laughs> well, she was actually—what she was trying to accomplish was a higher level in life uh, financially. Sure. And Leo was not bringing it. Mm-hmm. He was uh, not as financially successful as she needed him to be. So she finally found a guy through this cheating process mm-hmm. who had some money. Mm-hmm. I think she thought he had more money than he actually had because he worked in the family business, and so he had some of the trappings of a lot of money, but that was mostly his parents' money. Joseph Lubin was this guy's name, and so she ends up marrying Joseph two times. She married him, divorced him, married him, divorced him. Now, because that doesn't sound real good, Leona actually rewrites her history, and this is one of the parts that gets written out. When Leona talks, she tells about her first husband and then her last husband. This is totally left out that she married and divorced, married and divorced, and cheated Mm -hmm. and all this kind of stuff. The other thing that she totally makes up that is not part of her past, but she tells everyone it is, is that she was on the Chesterfield billboards in New York City. Now, Chesterfield is a cigarette Mm. And they, back then, you could advertise cigarettes everywhere. And she was the Chesterfield girl on the billboards, according to her. There is no record of this ever happening. However, she was an extremely heavy smoker. (laughs) (laughs) So so that is why— That does check out. That does check out. (laughs) That checks out well. Uh Okay, So Leona is going along, and she's married to this Joseph guy, you know, and divorced and married and divorced. But she starts getting into real estate. When she's in her late 30s, early 40s, she gets a job as a receptionist at a real estate company. Mm -hmm. Well, she sees that the way to make money in real estate is not to be a receptionist. She wants to be an agent. So she gets her license, and she starts selling condos in New York City. And she starts working on processes with her boss to convert buildings into condos. So there are apartment buildings, and she works through this process that sometimes is bordering on bullying and everything else to get people to move out of these buildings so they can get the votes they need to turn the building into a condo. Oh. And so, yeah, she's she's doing some of that. But she's extremely successful. This is the 1960s. She is making over $100,000 a year. Whoa. A woman in the 60s in New York City making over $100,000 a year. Adjusted for inflation? I do not. You (laughs) didn't. Yeah, I knew you didn't. I am so lazy. I did not adjust that for inflation. Okay. I'm going to ballpark it half a a million. Probably. Maybe more. Yeah. It's it's 70 years ago, so. All right. it's, It's a lot. At the same time, so she was extremely successful. And, you know, the new husband, Joe, he's got some cash. But she gets caught 
stealing salt and pepper shakers from, <laughs> from a high-end restaurant in New York City. Oh. And the way this plays out is she and Joe are out to dinner with another couple. And Leona pockets the sterling silver. This is high-end place. Sure. She pockets the sterling silver pepper and salt shakers. In front of the other couple? It, well, it, it's unknown as to whether they saw it happen okay. or not. But the maitre d' stops Joe on the way out and, you know, says, hey, let me talk to you. He says, we've had a problem uh, with people stealing our salt and pepper shakers, and the salt and pepper shakers are gone off your table. Um, would you just like to pay for those, or what would you like to do? Mm. And he goes and talks to— Oh, that's embarrassing. <laughs> well, this isn't in front of anybody. This no, is just, I know. I'm saying even one-on-one, would you like to pay for them or move? Well, Joe should have paid for them because according to the movie I watched, The Queen of Mean— this, Is it a movie or a documentary? It's a movie. Okay. It's a movie. Okay. Suzanne Plachette is an actress back in the day, and she played Leona. So, yeah, okay. it's a movie. It's not a documentary. No. Okay. Um, so, yeah, you don't know exactly how this played out, but Joe says, let me, let me go talk to, my, talk to Leona. Well, mm-hmm. he goes to talk to Leona and the other couple, and they said, he says, hey, they said we stole the salt and pepper shakers. And the other couple's like, whatever. Yeah. And they, they just walk off, and she's like, well, I didn't take them. I didn't take them. Of course not. And so he goes back, and he just says, we'll, we'll pay for them. And when he comes back, Leona sees that he's paid for them, and she says— they didn't see me do it. I could have got. We could have gotten away with it. Why'd you? Why'd you pay him? He didn't see me do it. Oh. So again, wealthy people at the time, you know, having having wealth, stole salt and pepper shakers that were who knows, you know, they're they're. Well, they're they stern. probably really needed those. Yeah, they needed them, and they were really nice because the salt and pepper shakers at their house were kind of ugly. <laughs> so they had no choice. Okay. Well, thank you, Kristen. Sure, sure. Leona, you're going to take this Queen of Mean title and twist it around, aren't you? She's <laughs> not going to be the Queen of Mean. Okay, so let's fast forward a little bit more. 1968. She's she's riding high. She's mm-hmm. Joe is gone. We've gotten rid of oh, Joe okay. for the second time, so we have no husband. But we are on the prowl. She's 48 years old, and she is looking for a new husband. Mm-hmm. And this is time for a big upgrade. We yeah. need somebody with some cash money. Okay. And she meets slash targets a guy named Harry Helmsley. Mm-hmm. Now, she, as she tells it, she was just at this real estate party, and Harry was, like, putting the moves on her, mm-hmm. coming at her every mm-hmm. which direction, mm-hmm. wanting to dance, wanting—he was wanting all kinds of stuff. Uh, everyone else— Including people who were at the party there said, no, Leona came in and said, which one's Harry Helmsley? (laughs) (laughs) And several people said, he's over there. Uh, And she beelines for him and asks him to dance and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Well, Harry Helmsley, Chris, we got an age issue here. Mm -hmm. She's 48. He's 59. Yeah, not a bad— not bad? No. You're okay. This is the first time that I've heard you be okay with an age gap. But it's No, that's not true. I'm okay with ones where I feel like people are in roughly the same place in life. Mm-hmm. And 48 and 58, you're kind of in the same place in life, roughly. Okay. And it sounds like they're some on somewhat equal footing financially, or is he way richer oh, he's, than he's, he's He owns the Empire State Building. 
Oh, he owns oh more my. real estate than anyone else in New York City as an individual. Mm-hmm. Now there are corporations that own more real estate, but he owns more real estate in New York City than anybody. Wow. So financially, you know, she's making a hundred thousand a year plus. Which is great, but it's nothing. He's a billion. He's a yeah. billionaire. A, a, okay. a multi-billionaire. No, so my my thing on age gaps. If you're at roughly the same age experience level, I don't have a problem. And that can get wider as you get older. I will say, sometimes people will reach out and they'll be like, but Kristen, my parents have this huge age gap, but they've been together for however many years. And I always feel very awkward. You feel bad? No, I don't. um, Here's what you say. Here's what you say. Whichever one I'm younger, you say the other one must be really immature. <laughs> no, no. Here's you what, oh, you don't say here's that? Here's what I truly want to say, uh-huh. but I don't because it would be too weird. But m- my thing is, my, my, my issue with age gaps isn't that I don't think a marriage can last. It's not that I don't think a relationship can go a long time. So when people say, yeah, but so-and-so and so-and-so have been together for 20 years. Okay. Anyway. You just want them to start on more equal footing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I get that. I get that. Most And most people do. Most people don't have a big age gap. They don't have a big income gap. They don't have a big wealth gap. Most people start off on fairly equal footing. But um, when they don't, I think there is there are potential problems that come up uh, if you're in some of those situations. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, I've looked at pictures of Harry Helmsley. Uh-huh. And uh, – He's not a great-looking guy. May I Google? Yeah, you, and, and Google Leona. Leona, you know, she's a good-looking woman. Now, you might get pictures of her when she's in her 80s or something, but Leona's a good-looking woman. I, she wasn't on the Chesterfield billboards, but she's she's a good-looking woman. Okay. I, whew, she's had some work done. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, and sure, sure, in her younger years, sure. Yeah. Okay, so, so let's talk a little bit about Harry Helmsley. He's married. <laughs> Kristen. I'm looking over at Kristen, and she's got her face pulled back I, tight. And- I can't find a single picture of her in her older years where she isn't caught in this wind tunnel. That's weird. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a rubber band. I think she's got a rubber band around yeah. her face pulled pulled back real tight. Uh, so, yeah, there was, there was some work done there. Okay, okay. okay. So, Harry, he's been married for 33 years. Oh, no. To the same lovely, kind Quaker woman. You know, we oh, love the Quakers. We do love the Quakers. Jay, our son-in-law, my son-in-law, your brother-in-law, Quaker. We love the Quakers. <laughs> Jay is the representative for all Quakers, He's and we what, really like him. Well, and, and have I ever told you that the reason I wanted Kyla to go to a Quaker school was she would meet a Quaker boy and get married? You told that story at their wedding, and then you did a victory dance around the venue. <laughs> <laughs> well, and here's the thing. So I was all excited about this. But then I read online after she had already applied and been accepted and, and pretty much decided she was going to go there yeah. that only 11% of the people there are Quakers. So I thought, well, this my, my dream this probably is not going to work out. And boom, she meets Jay her sophomore year. Jay's a freshman. She's a sophomore. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, he's Quaker. Let's, let's, let's roll with this. And uh-huh. so I forced them to get married. It's <laughs> <laughs> such a romantic story. <laughs> no, so the wife is a Quaker, and we know the Quakers, how good they are. Here's what Leona says about the Quakers. There's got to be some bad Quakers out there. <laughs> I'm going to go knock the queen of the Quakers off of her throne. Oh. Leona 
has has a way with words that I mean she she it's kind of quippy and everything, mm-hmm. but you know it's always mean. So she's got a lot of these, and I'm going to give you a few of these mean quippy quotes that she okay. has. But that was one of them. She becomes his mistress for four years, so from sixty-eight to seventy-two. Wow, that's really putting in some time. Oh, oh, she put in some time, and she worked it. She was working to get the queen of the Quakers out and take over as queen of the palace. Mm-hmm. So what happened was it wasn't working out. She wasn't, you know, wasn't convincing. He's in, he's in love with this lady, but what she does is she buys herself a boatload of flowers. She buys herself an engagement <laughs> ring. And Harry comes over and he says, what's the deal with all these flowers you've got? Oh, and she, oh, I, I don't want to talk about it. Well, no, who are, they, who are they from? And he goes and he grabs and he says, oh, she says, oh, I didn't mean to, for you to see that. <laughs> oh, it's from Frank. And he's a big real estate guy down in Florida. Uh, he wants me to come. In fact, here's my ring that he mm-hmm. sent me. He sent me all these flowers. He wants me to come and marry him and live with him. And I'm, I'm really thinking about it because what, what's this? I'm, I'm, I'm a mistress for four years. I, I'm, I'm better than that. I can't, I can't put up with it. I love you, Harry. Um, uh, undertones here are that uh, I want your money, Harry, but I, I love you, Harry. I got to say I'm kind of on her side in this. Why is that? Um, because I think this guy sounds like a douchebag. He's cheating that- on his wife for four years. Yeah, tell him what. Do whatever. He's he's a douche. He deserves this. Well, did I mention his wife's a Quaker? What's that have to do? <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying these two. Now that I know that he cheated for four years and all that, I'm kind of like these two awful people might deserve just each other. Deserve each other. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, uh, sure enough, it works. Harry divorces the wife. You know, it's 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 a hard thing to do because I think he really does care for her. But as Leona says— You're giving a lot of sympathy to this she's, guy. She's making him old. She's making him look old because she looks old. And look at Leona, you know, 11 years younger with all the, all the work done, all the tight face stuff done. Uh-huh. Uh, so in 1972, he gets a divorce and they get married. Yeah, oh, God— Okay, so again, this guy is not only a billionaire, he's a self-made billionaire. So this guy has got some business savvy and may be pulling some fast ones here and there, but he and Leona are a match made in heaven, not only from a marriage standpoint, but from a business standpoint, because Leona can work those condos. Yeah. And so she goes into apartment buildings and either gets people scared about, hey, this is going condo and you're not going to be able to afford it. You better leave. So then she has these fake buyers buy these things so they'll vote for the condo. Oh, good Lord. And so they have to have, I think it's 35 percent is all they have to have. And so once she gets this building turned condo, boom, it's all condo. Harry buys it all. And, and she sells it all, and it's – I mean, they're, they're making money hand over fist. So when she meets Harry – Is this basically gentrification or no? It probably is. It okay. probably is. I, I don't know. I don't know. I think they may were just – they may be just moving out old people 
uh-huh. and uh, and bringing in bringing in young people. Mm-hmm. But they were converting these apartment buildings into condos, and Harry had the money uh, and the financial resources uh, through banks to to buy these things. Okay, and so their net worth shot up to around six billion dollars oh uh, over gosh. over the next fifteen years. So yeah, they did over fifteen. Oh my gosh, they okay. did they did well. Okay, so in the seventies and eighties. These two become the biggest tax cheats in U.S. history. Have they heard about Donald Trump and his $750? Um, You're going to be amazed at the parallels between Donald Trump and Leona Helmsley. Okay. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So Time magazine uh, in the late 80s and Forbes magazine named their top 10 tax cheats of all time. Oh. And Leona <laughs> made both lists. And the only reason Harry didn't make it with her was because Harry was – he had had a series of strokes in his early 80s. And so he was out of the business. He wasn't – he had no memory. Um, it, it, he so it was current tax cheaters only, huh? Well, yeah. And, and I think there, it, was, it was unsure how much tax cheating he had done before Leona – came into the picture. Okay. Because the, the, the biggest thing that got them was they – well, let me, let me talk a little okay. bit about – let me just talk about Donald Trump a little bit. Um, they had one financial run-in with him, and I couldn't exactly find out, but Trump sues everybody. So I'm sure they got into a clash over, you know, who, who was going to buy a building or something. Mm-hmm. But here's the parallels I saw between Donald Trump and Leona Helmsley. They both were huge, huge in New York City real estate, but they didn't really earn any of that themselves. Mm-hmm. Leona had it given to her by her husband, Harry, who became incapacitated, and so now that was all hers. And Donald inherited all of it from his dad. 400, uh, it was, it was, was it 400 million, 400 and some million dollars he, he inherited from his dad, mm-hmm. uh, and most of it in real estate. Plus, he, you know, he, he, he was paying, paying Donald when he was still alive and all that kind of stuff. So both of them had kind of, here's this real estate empire handed to them. Did Leona have a bunch of businesses that went bankrupt? No. There, hmm. There's a difference there. There's so a she's, difference. she's actually a good business person. That's the, so we're going to have some some likes and some uh, not likes, uh, dislikes. Not dislikes. <laughs> not li- <laughs> yeah. um, they both use their personality as a force of nature. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when Leona was in charge of this empire, she was the face of the empire in every way you can imagine. Billboards, television advertising, everything. Oh, God. She was the queen of the palace. And she would say things like, I wouldn't put up with thin towels. Neither should you. And everything was – everything I wouldn't put up with X, Y, Z. Yeah. Neither should you. And so she was all over print media, all over billboards, all over television mm-hmm. as the face of the, of the franchise, if you will. And that worked fairly well for her but also kind of made her a target. You know, people are like, oh, you know – Rich lady on there, yeah. Uh, should she should she be doing her own ads? And, and she comes comes off as really as not a real lovable, likable person in those ads. Sure. Both Leona and Donald Trump had some personal success. So Leona was successful as a real estate agent and was making great money. 
And the only personal success we know of that Donald Trump has had is being on The Apprentice. Uh, the New York Times information. I would argue that becoming president of the United States, now, not saying anything about the job he's done, but I would say getting to that office was a success. Leona didn't get there, did she? No. <laughs> I'm just saying if we're, if we're, you know, in fairness. There was one other difference. Leona really is or was, when she was alive, a billionaire. <laughs> no doubt about it. She had the money. She's given away the money. It's, she was a billionaire. Mm-hmm. I think there are huge questions as, as to whether Donald Trump is really a billionaire or not. Once he listens to this podcast, he will release all those tax returns. I think so. We, well, we know enough about him now that uh, we, I don't know that we need to see him now, do we? I hope not. Uh, here's something else. They're both mean, vindictive, and abusive to employees, contractors, and associates. Now, this isn't just my opinion. There were a lot of uh, court documented uh, court documents that indicate that Leona was all those things. And I think we're hearing from people who leave the White House that there's a lot of that also. So that force of personality uh, and I've got to have it my way is is kind of a rough thing for for both Mm -hmm. Donald and for Leona. And both of them stiffed contractors. You know, there's a lot of evidence that Donald Trump stiffs contractors. Yeah. Leona did the same thing, and that and that alone is what came back to bite her. You are, you are not going to believe this. So she was stiff in New York City contractors. Uh-huh. The biggest stiff of the, of the contractors happened at their home in Greenwich, Connecticut. They bought an $11 million estate, and they had an $8 million renovation done on it. But Leona either out of trying to save money or trying to uh, uh, nitpick people to death, refused to pay a ton of the money. And so the contractors who know who they're supposed to be getting paid by, and it's not Leona Helmsley, it's one of the companies that she works for. It's one of Harry's companies. Actually, I shouldn't say Harry's company. It's her company and, and Harry's company. So they say, hey, wait a minute here. This is tax fraud. This should be income that they, they take out of the company and pay taxes on, and then they pay us because we're working on their personal home. Oh. And so it's not only tax fraud from that perspective, but all this is being charged against the company, which is reducing the profits of that company to the tune of, of $8 million in this case. And this is the only, you know, this isn't the only time they did this. This was something that was done quite a bit. Yeah. So... They send all these invoices with all this information to the New York Post. And New York Post, a little bit of a tabloidy type? Yeah, so they're known for their ridiculous headlines, their eye-catching headlines. Right. Well, I don't know what the headline was on this, but they published the whole thing, the whole story. These people are are tax cheats. And then then everybody's like, oh, my gosh, here's this lady. She's on all the billboards. She's on TV and everything, and she's a tax cheat. This is 1988. Kristen, you are not going to believe who the U.S. attorney was in that, uh, in that New York district in 1988. Very popular guy now. He's on Fox News all the time. Oh, Kinda Giuliani. Rudy Giuliani oh. is, the, is the attorney. He goes after Leona because at this point, Harry is – he's out. He's not able – By that, you mean dead? No, no. He's, oh. he's alive. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, I thought 
was nope. so rude. <laughs> when I say burp, that means he's he's unable to function. If okay, I okay, mentally said, he's not there. Is <laughs> that what burp means? <laughs> okay, he indicted them on several charges. Uh-huh. Uh Tax tax evasion, including extortion, because. They tried to bully a little bit. I say they. It's and that's Leona. She's yeah. she's trying to bully. You know, Harold is. Okay, there's some good quotes because what what Rudy Giuliani said was, "Let's go to court." <laughs> you missed the cue totally. Well, I you know you you usually have them look in the mirror and then say, "Let's go to court." <laughs> Sorry about that. I forgot to look in the mirror. Yeah. Here's some good quotes from the trial, because they were trying to make her out as. Bad a person as possible Mm -hmm. in this trial. So they had a maid from their estate, and she said, we don't pay taxes. Only the little people pay taxes. Ew. Not a good quote. And this is in front of a jury. This is a jury trial. Yeah. And so when you are saying stuff like that— She didn't try to settle this thing? Or, well, I— I don't no, she's know. got enough money to fight. Whatever. Yeah, she's she's fighting it. So there's that, and and but she didn't have the greatest lawyers in the world because they they got nailed on this stuff. Uh-huh. So well, I guess I shouldn't say settled. It would be a plea deal. But anyway, go ahead. Okay, so a one of the accountants testified that she said, "You're not my sexy timing business partner." <laughs> You'll sign whatever I tell you to sign. Now, he didn't really say sexy time. He I was, said— When you said sexy, I was like, what? <laughs> you really scared me for a second. Well, you you know what? I don't use the F-bomb, and so I always substitute sexy timing. So, yeah, you say a number of weird offensive things, but not the F-word. Not the F-bomb. So that's just a couple of the quotes that came out. Now, her lawyer, in an attempt to kind of bring this thing back in— said at one point, she's not on trial for being a bitch. She's on trial for tax evasion. Please ignore all that. I think, you know, that would be, honestly, that would probably be my tactic. Oh, yeah. You'd be sitting there, you'd be objecting all the time that her personality and her meanness has nothing to do with whether or not she has evaded taxes. Now, I guess we don't pay taxes. Little people pay taxes. That, that one's, but, but, but honestly, what I'm saying is, like, in my opening statement to the jury, I would say my client is mean, my client is this, my client is that, but none of that has to do with what we're here for, blah, 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 blah. This is why I should have gone to all the semesters, Dad. All the semesters. Man, you would be defending Leona, and, and probably she'd be off free on this. That's the dream. That's the dream. <laughs> so there, this, these are. I just pulled out a couple of quotes. Uh-huh. And so there were a ton of witnesses who were up there saying she's mean, she's manipulative, she's vindictive. The family, employees, contractors, everybody. Nobody, nobody likes her. In fact, let's let's talk a little bit about family. She's got the son, Jay, that I mentioned from the You're first right. marriage. Uh, she has four grandkids. Jay is he has a heart attack in his thirties. They, oh. yeah, he had a heart attack in his thirties, and he ends up uh, dying when he was forty-two. But when he had the heart attack, she had not spoken to him for five years. So. Not a good situation there, and, mm. and it's you know if you if you've got a mean parent or grandparent or whatever it is, you just avoid them because you yeah. can, and that's what what Jay had done and what Leona didn't care. She was kind of off doing her thing. Yeah. Well, she makes Harry hire him to be in charge of the company that buys all of the furnishings for all of their uh, hotels worldwide, and so everyone's like. Harry, you can't 
you can't this this thirty something year old guy with no purchasing experience. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You can't put him in charge of this company, and it's, it's interesting. Donald Trump's dad had a company like this, so they instead of having a purchasing department within the company, it's a separate company. Uh huh. So uh, that's what, and so Jay is running the purchasing entire company of of the uh, of the Helmsley Hotels. Mm-hmm. Now the problem with that was. Jay was just as dirty as his mom was as far as <gasps> business goes. So an accountant comes to Harry and says, okay, here's, what, here's the scam he's got going. If we have a thousand-room hotel that we build and he is responsible to buy all the furnishings, TVs, dressers, beds, mirrors, everything else for that hotel, he buys 1,500 rooms worth instead of a thousand rooms worth and he sells the... 500 extra rooms worth of stuff to another hotel chain and pockets all the money because it's all business expense. And so he was was stealing millions. He gets caught by this accountant. Harry, you know, gets told. Mrs. Helmsley gets told. They chew him out really bad Mm -hmm. and tell him to (laughs) never do this again. This is what rich people do with their kids. (laughs) Don't do this again. And evidently he didn't because they didn't fire him and he died of a heart attack a couple of years later. Well, how do we know that he didn't do it again? <laughs> <laughs> we, we don't know. But so and, and, she, and she's estranged from the four grandkids. I mean, hasn't seen him, doesn't want to see him. They don't want to see her. So it's all good. That is so sad. Yeah. Yeah. Sad. August 30th, 1989. OK. OK. Rudy Giuliani got a guilty verdict on three case, uh, counts of tax evasion, three counts of filing a false tax return, 10 counts of mail fraud, and 16 for corporate tax fraud. 16 well, counts of corporate tax dang, fraud. Dang, Rudy, okay. Rudy did okay. See, this, Rudy was sharp back in the day. Rudy was on top of his game. I watched um, a Netflix documentary I can't remember the name of it, where Rudy, you know, surprise, surprise, oopsies, it turns out to kind of be the hero of that story. And man, that was a tough pill to swallow. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he was he was mayor of New York uh, for 9-11, 2001, mm-hmm. and, and by all counts did a great job of kind of leading the city through that crisis. And uh, so, yeah, just because you see uh, the crazy man on Fox with his, you know, looks like a, what, what they always make him look like a vampire. They have that one picture of him. Make him it, look like a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> so so anyway, so she gets she's guilty on all these counts. Mm-hmm. How many years do you think Rudy was able to get on her for those all those counts? I mean, I don't I see I know nothing about tax stuff. So 20? 16. Good guess. Okay. Got 16 years. But she says to hell with these corporate attorneys here at the Helmsley Hotel. And you know who she hires? Who does she hire? Alan Dershowitz. How did you know that? <laughs> oh, did I tell you that already? No, no, you didn't. Um, did you look that up? No. Okay. I stumbled across it in my research for my case this week, <laughs> and I was like, oh, my gosh. Alan Dershowitz. Well, so I'm thinking, okay, Alan Dershowitz, I mean, you know, lawyer to the douchebags, right? I mean, Yes, that's, that's exactly. Okay, let me give you a list of people. And this isn't in any, you know, ascending or descending order. I've right. just got these names written down. Mike Tyson, mm-hmm. rapist and bit a guy's ear off. You know, mm-hmm. so you got that going. 
Patty Hearst. Mm-hmm. Okay, that might be the, the least. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with her. Julian Assange. Mm-hmm. Jim Baker. Yeah. You remember Jim Baker, Jim yeah. and Tammy Faye? Yeah. And I, I have to mention here that I wanted to buy Tammy Faye's house. Tammy Faye had a house in Kansas City that the second husband built for her, and it needed a lot of, of like, changing but mm-hmm. I wanted to buy it. Sheree Ray nixed that deal. She's always raining on your parade. She is. And I'm telling you, I could have flipped that house and made a ton of money and lived in it and loved it and all those kind of things. It was it was in a nice neighborhood, gated community, had like 1.2 acres Dad, why are you on the crying lake. black mascara tears right now? <laughs> Sheree Ray stopped me from buying that property. Well, it was hideous, right? No, it wasn't hideous. I wish I could have taken it to it. It, it, needed, it needed some walls to come down. It needed some changes. It needed some flooring changes. Uh, but it was—Kristen, I have never seen a master bedroom closet. This thing was literally 20 feet by 30 feet. The closet in the master bedroom—Tammy Faye had some stuff. Yeah. Shoes, dresses, mascara— just the mascara wall was amazing. That sounds like my dream. <laughs> okay, so Jim Baker, uh, you know, sex scandal, religious— nut, Rape yeah. scandal. Oh, that's right. It got framed in the media as a sex scandal, but it was it he was, was accused uh, he, of rape. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jessica Hahn, right? Jessica Hahn. Yeah, was, wow, yeah. you were— Oh, I you know— Well, I forget how old you are. Yeah, and you don't know how much I love a religious scandal. Mm-hmm. I, I know. do know how much you love a religious <laughs> scandal. O.J., I, I thought you were not going to mention O.J. Oh, I mean, right? O.J. And then Donald Trump on the impeachment trial. Yep. Dershowitz was on the team. And the piece de resistance, Jeffrey Epstein. Yep. Oh, my gosh. So Leona is like, this is, this is peanuts for this guy. You know, mm-hmm. get her off, you know, get her, get her sentence reduced. He takes that sentence from 16 years to 19 months. Whoa. So she spends 19 months in jail. And then a few— What what did he argue? uh, You know. Dad, this is called let's go to court. You're just like Kyla. Kyla showed up last week with a very interesting story and absolutely no court stuff. What what you got? I have no idea. (laughs) He worked the black magic. I mean, you think about that. None of these guys got what they deserved. Right. Okay, so— Leo, getting Leona down, I mean, Leona spent time in jail, so he didn't really kick butt in this case like you might think. Uh, I would say going from 16 years to 19 months is kicking butt. I wonder how Leona made it in, in prison. How did you think? Oh, of course, she was probably—that's probably one of those, you know— Yeah, she got the rich white lady prison. Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> that's located in Connecticut, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> okay, so— from you know this this happened in 1989 and through all the appeal when she when she first got sentenced the the 16 years mm-hmm. so it takes till 1994 because she uh, until she gets out of prison because there's been you know all these appeals and everything else now brandy will love this they sent her to prison on what day of the year i don't know april 15th ah oh. Tax day. Brandy is going to love Brandy that. Love Brandy, uh, shout out to you right now, Brandy. I know you love that. What she calls it, poetic justice or something. Yeah, that's a term that Brandy coined <laughs> on this podcast. So she's out of jail in 1994. Uh-huh. So we've, we've, we're a ways down. Harry is still alive, but he, again, is... <laughs> but so now... Her only—she's kind of reclusive now. Her only friends are Imelda Marcos, 
Who's that? Okay. Imelda Marcos and her husband, he was president of the Philippines, and the two of them stole between 5 and $10 billion <gasps> from the Philippine people in the 80s. Oh. Uh, she... She was famous for like 4,000 pairs of shoes or oh, something. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay, you're with me. You okay, remember okay. it now? Yeah. Um, yeah, she was not a good person. She went back to the Philippines and got got elected mayor or something. So she she went back after he died. Oh, my. Uh, but he went. He was in exile and then died. Manuel Noriega, the Panamanian dictator and strongman, another one of her buddies. Wow. So, and then this is the one, one of the most amazing things that's ever happened to me. Last time I was on podcast, uh-huh. we talked about Conrad. Being on the podcast was one of the most amazing things. It was. I couldn't <laughs> believe it. Being on the podcast is the most amazing thing. But the linkage between two what seemingly are unrelated cases, except the Hiltons were into hotels mm-hmm. also, I guess. One of her or two of her best friends were Kathy and Rick Hilton, parents of Paris and total douche canoe Conrad III. I I remember thinking that Conrad just seemed like a nice, misunderstood boy from your story. Yeah, I probably painted him in a negative light, and I shouldn't have. I just remember you trying to say sexy times again <laughs> and again and stumbling because it's not a very natural. Yeah, I'm going to have to start breaking out F-bombs. If I do another case that's got a lot of them in it there, I'm going to have to start You're saying, not going to be able to do it. I won't be able to. I'll have to switch cases. I'll have to switch cases. So she's not living her best life now. Mm-hmm. She really can't be on the board or in charge of any of these companies because she's a convicted felon, and convicted felons cannot be on the board or have an active role in a company that has a liquor license. And all their companies have liquor licenses oh, because yeah. they're hotels. But she's super rich. Oh, she's I mean, super, just lay back and enjoy yourself. That's what she's doing. That's what she's doing. Okay. So she, she's literally got $6 billion. So yeah. it's, it's, it's really not a problem. So – We've got a, a little bit of more, a little bit more case stuff, though. You like the court case stuff? In the early two thousands, uh, some former employees filed lawsuits against her mm-hmm. for doing things like fired me because I'm gay. Oh, she really, she literally fired a guy because she's he he was gay. Now, here's the deal: in the United States, most of us are employees at will, which means I can quit anytime I want to quit, and they can fire me whenever they want to fire me mm-hmm. for no reason. The only time it becomes illegal is if you give an illegal reason, like you're gay Mm -hmm. or you're black or you're a woman Mm -hmm. or you're pregnant. And so Leona must have told this guy, I'm firing you because you're gay, because he was awarded $11.2 million. (gasps) Good for him. Now, of course, you got Dershowitz involved. Oh. 554,000. Oh, 554? Well, after you thought you were getting eleven million, <laughs> well, I'm sure they said, "Hey, don't don't count on your eleven point two. Anyway, got got reduced to five hundred fifty four. <laughs> so she had some of these things come back on her from when she was, you know, in charge, and That's these people a shame. were like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> "This isn't making a dent." And, I mean, she could have given her eleven point two million, and it, it wouldn't have made yeah. a dent. Okay, so so we had a few more court cases, but here's the deal: she dies in two thousand seven. At 87 degrees. degrees. She had an 87-degree temperature, and they said, that's too cold. Yeah. And then they're like, this lady's dead. She's she's been dead for a couple of days here in this hot apartment. No, congestive heart failure. She dies (laughs) at 87, not degrees, years old. Kristen, don't be laughing at me. Now now I've got the church giggles. Okay, so 
she's got six billion dollars mm-hmm. in a trust, and in her will, she gave two grandkids who must have like come and seen her or something. I don't know what mm-hmm. they got ten million dollars each, five million up front and five million in a trust that if they went to visit their dad's uh, gravesite once a year. And it was documented <laughs> that they could have the, the rest of the five million. Okay. Weird, weird thing to want. The other nope, two grandkids. Nope, it's control. I totally get it. <laughs> the other two grandkids, Zippo. I mean, they got nothing. Why not? Well, it, we don't have any information on that. Okay. My guess is they didn't suck up yeah, to grandma. Yeah, enough. they did something wrong, and with a person like this, it can be literally anything. Any, anything. However, guess who did get twelve million dollars? I already know because you already told me. Her dog, Trouble. <laughs> the dog's name is Trouble, and he got $12 million. <laughs> now, that might seem like a lot for a dog. <laughs> this- I don't know. My dog has diabetes, and it's just very expensive. <laughs> okay. I don't know that even what they reduced it to would be uh, it would be more than enough to take care of peanut in, in the diabetic mm-hmm. state. They reduced it to $2 million. Now, so that's 24-hour care. That's 60000 a year for somebody to, to watch the dog. That's, you know, that's, and that's supposed to last 10 years. So $2 million. That is wild. That is wild. So that's what it got reduced to. Now, the good news is, so that went, there's, so there's $10 million out there that either goes back into the trust or you've got the two grandkids out there that have got squat from super rich grandma. Each of them, well, they, they looked themselves in the mirror and they, and they said, said, let's, let's go, go to, to court. court. And so they went to court and they got $3 million each because the judge said that Leona was not in a state of mind to be able to be competent enough to adjust the will the way she had. Now, I don't know why the other two got $10 million and they only got three because there must have, she must have had some, some reasoning behind why she was doing it. But uh, they did go to court, and they got $3 million each, which when grandma's worth $6 billion and you only got $3 million, not a, not a good deal, not a good deal. But I don't think any of the four of them probably expected squat from her because they just didn't have a relationship with the lady. They just happened to be their, her grandkids. But I can understand. I mean, you'd be like, well, who else is the money going to go to? The dog? Ha, 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 ha. I, I mean— I th- I would think even if you didn't have much of a relationship, you'd you wouldn't be expected to not be in the will at all. True, true. Uh, I will tell you though that I think uh, guys like Warren Buffett. Uh, mm-hmm. I think they, they. I think Warren Buffett's grandkids get to go to any school anywhere that they want as mm-hmm. for as as long as they want, do as much as they want. He pays for all the education, but I don't think he gives them much at all as far as um, you know money. But I bet he communicates that with them. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, I think it's the lack of communication that makes people assume, well, I'll probably get something. Yeah, yeah. Especially when your brother and sister got something. Yeah. That's, that's, that's kind of a bad deal. Well, so, so that is the story of Leona Helmsley. As sad as it is from a personal relationship standpoint. That's terrible. And let me, let me, before I close it out, though, let me say this. She did give a ton of money to charity. Of course, you know, $6 billion, I mean, you, most of us can't even imagine what that is. A billion is a thousand millions. That's unbelievable. That's crazy. And so 
She gave a ton of money to charities in the New York City area, helped build a hospital. She did things like that. And now this trust fund that she has is basically going to fund philanthropic causes in New York City. So it's— How weird that— Such a mean lady has now become such a source of good through her money. Yeah, yeah. Assuming it it goes to good causes. It could be going to the committee to reelect. So— Oh. Oh, oh. Watch out, Kristen. You know, I'm sure we've got like 12 Trump supporters who listen to this show, and they are really upset right now. They're appalled. They are appalled at the way you are speaking about our dear leader. I believe you were the one who was drawing the comparisons— yeah, I was. Oh, in a positive way, though. Did that sound negative? <laughs> I was meaning that to sound positive. Now more compliments for Trump. So that is the story of Leona Helmsley, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Well, that was quite good. Oh, thank you. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Okay, are you ready for this? Yeah, I don't have anything. I'm, I'm just... Yeah, yeah, you're just listening. Yeah. Are you ready to listen? I'm ready for this. Actually, let me... Okay, so first of all, huge shout out to Mark Gribben from the Crime Library for his article, The Klaus von Bülow Case. This article is super, super, super thorough. If you want to know the whole dang story, go read Mark's article. Um, I'm basically giving you the poor man's version of his article, and I've left a lot on the cutting room floor. So if you want more information, head over. What are you doing? (laughs) Are you flipping through your notebook? (laughs) Are you bored already? Sorry. Oh, great. Getting close to your bedtime. Let's talk about an American socialite. It was the fall of 1932, and a married couple was on a train headed from Virginia to New York. These two were rich. The husband was George Crawford. He founded Columbia Gas and Electric. He owned the Lone Star Gas Company in Texas. He owned oil in Mexico. He was a trustee on the Union Trust Company of Pittsburgh. You get the idea. The dude was loaded. Hey, if they're so loaded, why are they on a train? Shouldn't they be on, like, one of those fancy new TWA flights that— uh, It's 1932. Yeah, didn't—well, wasn't TWA around back then? I don't know my— I my feel airline. like the Wright brothers had, like, just barely gotten off that the That was, like, 1904. <laughs> Come on. 
<laughs> okay, so they were in um, a hovercraft. In the <laughs> no, so he was loaded. So was she. Annie Warmack came into the marriage rich as she could be because her father founded the International Shoe Company, which was based out of the great state of Missouri mm. and sold shoes out the yin-yang. I say Missouri. So uh, can you please try to pronounce it correctly? I hate it when people say Missouri. Your parents <laughs> said Missouri. No, they didn't. Yes, they did. No, no, no. Dad. Your mom? Missouri. I, I, well, I don't remember that. You don't remember living in Missouri with your parents who called it Missouri? <laughs> <laughs> who lived there their whole lives? Uh-huh. So, this very wealthy couple was on the train, and obviously they were in their own private railroad car because it'd just be horrid not to be. And all of a sudden, uh-oh, Annie went into labor. At the time, Annie was like 30 and George was 70. Oh, oh my, that is too much of an age gap. Is this You guy- sound fake. I am about to throw up for real <laughs> over here. That's disgusting. <laughs> well, seriously, is he really the father or is, is we got some funny business going on here with Annie? I kind of hope there's funny business, honestly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You don't want that old sperm. Ew, gross. Oh, oh sorry. What sorry. did I do to deserve <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I, I, you know, you're much more bothered by an age gap than I am, but this this is— 70 and 30, that's disgusting. That's pretty bad. And she was rich, so I don't—I mean, I guess you want to be more rich. Yeah, you, you, you can't—you can never have enough. Well, like, and the, I like mean— Like right I, now, I'm super wealthy, but I want to be super-duper wealthy. That's, mm-hmm. my, that's my goal. Well, I think we can all get behind that. <laughs> the only thing I was thinking is, I mean— 70 years old in the 30s. I'm sure she was like, well, how long, how many months do I have to stick this out? Yeah, I hope she didn't sign a prenup because, you know, you want to get the whole thing, the whole I enchilada. I don't believe she did. Oh, was his first wife a Quaker also? <laughs> Those poor Quakers. Everything turned out fine. Annie gave birth to a daughter who they nicknamed Choo Choo because everyone's a comedian. <laughs> and Choo-choo. her actual name was Martha Sharp Crawford, but eventually she got another nickname, Sunny. Everyone for the rest of her life would call her Sunny. But before we get to that part, you should know that when Sunny was three or four years old, her father did die. Oh, so we got the, we got the whole enchilada now on the money. <laughs> How callous to poor George. Oh. Uh, when George died, Sunny inherited $100 million. Ooh, see, now that sounds like a lot of money, but I was talking about billionaires. Well, this was in the 30s. And adjusted for inflation. Oh, you you did it? Uh Uh-huh. $1.9 billion. Oh, my. Uh, Some sources say she only inherited $75 million, but I don't think that sounds too bad. So, Sunny was raised by her mother and grandmother, and man, did her life look nice from the outside. They lived on Fifth Avenue in New York City, and every morning a Rolls Royce would pull up to the building to take Sunny to her very exclusive all-girls private school, mm-hmm. which is still around today. The Chapin School. Chapin or Chapin? I have no idea. That's why I said it like that. <laughs> they spent their summers at the family estate in Greenwich. Greenwich? Greenwich. Greenwich. Oh, God. Oh, man. That's where – that's – Leona's house is in Greenwich. I'm sorry. And I've said Greenwich before on the podcast <laughs> and everybody laughed. People, please don't write in and make fun of Kristen for her mispronunciations. Please don't correct me. We all know how defensive I am. <laughs> She'll get defensive on you. 
Uh, but Sunny didn't just have money. She also had looks. Sunny was gorgeous, like Grace Kelly-level gorgeous, but she was always super shy to the point that people sometimes thought she was dumb, which doesn't actually seem to be true. It just seems like she didn't want to talk to those bitches. <laughs> so after she graduated high school, Sunny and her mom went to Europe, and they lived it up. One of the places that they went to was this amazing castle that had been built in the 1400s. Before World War II, it had become a sort of resort for rich people. But then World War II happened, and it became a fun place for Nazis to chill. But after the Nazis skedaddled, it was turned back into a resort. But there was a bit of a problem. All those Nazi signs on the walls? (laughs) Who the hell was going to stay there? Here's a sad story. Thanks in part to the war, there were all these royal people with fancy titles and great breeding, but no money. So the owner of the resort got an idea. He would cater to wealthy Americans, and the wealthy Americans would come over, and they'd be like, oh, oh. Who's this? Who's my tennis pro? Oh, it's Prince What's-His-Butt of La-Di-Da. How amazing. I'm a rich American, and I'm dazzled by European royalty. And that's my Julia Child impression. That sounded pretty good, <laughs> And that is exactly what happened to Sunny. At the resort, she met, and this is going to sound like a joke, but it's not, Alfred Edward Friedrich Vincent Vincent. Vincent, Vincent <laughs> Maria Prince von Osberg. You know, I'd ask you to do that again, but I don't think it'd come out any better, so we'll just stick with that version. He was hot, he was oh. 19, and he was royal. You know, you say hot and royal, and, you know, usually there's so much inbreeding in those royal I families know. that the guys, in, in, they, they look like doofuses, mm-hmm. and they're not very sharp and all that. But this is an exception with all those names. Well, I don't know that he was very sharp, but apparently he was uh, hot. Oh, okay. Hot. But also broke. But Sonny didn't care. Sonny was in love. But her mom was like, I don't think so. She was like, first of all, you are four years older than him, and nobody likes a cougar, Brandy. <laughs> That's a fun message for Brandy. Is Brandy, Brandy's a cougar, isn't she? Brandy's the biggest cougar there Oh, is. my gosh. Brandy, that David guy, mm-hmm. that guy is like, what, 12 years younger than her? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. 14. I, I, 12 or 14. Might be 15. Um, yeah, Brandy used to make fun of my age gap with Norman, which is a mere two years. Like two years, yeah. And, uh-huh. and, here and she then is she the, met David, with the who's 20 year years younger than her. Yeah, I thought it was 18. Is it 20? Mm. Hard to say. Hard to say. Well, yeah, Brandy is—well, Brandy's probably going to be okay with this four-year age gap with her being, hers being 20. Well, it'd be hypocritical. Yeah, you know? it, would, it would be. Hopefully she won't be upset about it at all. Hopefully not, yeah. The other thing her mom said was, he's going to cheat on you. I can just feel it in my bones. And I hate to even bring it up, but he's Catholic. Oh, Catholic. There's nothing worse than that. But Sonny couldn't be swayed. Sonny and Alfred, a.k.a. Alfie, got married on July 20th, 1957. And they had two children. Princess Annie Laurie von Osberg. Arsberg. Ars? <laughs> and Princess. Is it A R S? Arsberg? It's A U A U E R S P E R G. I like A R S B E R G. Arsberg. And then uh, Prince Alexander Arsberg. <laughs> Here's the thing about Alfie 
Sonny's mom had been right. He was Catholic. Oh, no. <laughs> and he was a cheater. And Sonny wasn't okay with that, so the couple divorced in 1965. And while she was separated from Prince Alfie, Sonny went to a dinner party and met Klaus von Bülow. Ooh. Klaus had kind of an interesting background. His family at one time had had a ton of money, but they'd lost it during World War I. Well, you knew they had a ton of money because of the von. Oh, you yeah. You got the von absolutely. or the van. The name, or, yeah. You got, that, you got that prefix to your last name. You, you got cash. What does the last name Pitts say about us? Uh, you mean Von Pitts. We are, <laughs> we are Von Pitts. <laughs> that doesn't fit at all, does it? <laughs> kind of like uh, wearing overalls over a tuxedo. <laughs> <laughs> so his family was pretty well connected. So Klaus went to really good schools where he was around all these super rich kids, and this created a ton of tension. He didn't have the wealth that his peers did, but man, did he want it. The dude was super ambitious. He went on to practice law in London and eventually became the personal assistant to J. Paul Getty, founder of Getty Oil. Ever heard of him? Ever heard of him. Around that time, Fortune magazine called J. Paul Getty the richest living American. So again, Klaus wasn't super rich himself, but he was rich adjacent, and he was the life of the party, which was the exact opposite of Sonny. The two hit it off. And on June 6, 1966, they got married. The next year, they had a daughter, whom they named Cosima von Bülow. But this marriage was rocky. And that's because, in my personal opinion, Klaus was a super douche. Here's the thing. Douche canoe? I thought, I thought you said douche canoe. I say a lot of things. Oh, okay. Sorry. Some of them true. So he loved Sonny's money. But he was too insecure to handle the fact that his wife was the one who had all the money. Plus, she wasn't really giving him enough of it. Sonny had set up a trust, which paid him $120,000 a year. Adjusted for inflation, that was about $425,000 a year. So no one could be expected to live off of that. No, you can't. That's not enough to live on. Not live comfortably. I mean, you could maybe get by. You could maybe scrape by with a few trips to the food bank maybe. Food bank, and and you're going to have to hit the pizza joints and stuff like that. But, yeah, you're not going out high on the town for for $450, would you say? Four and a quarter? Four and a quarter adjusted for inflation. Yeah, it's it's tough. I I couldn't do it. I couldn't live (laughs) on that amount. Uh Uh-huh. Sunny was super annoying because she was just nuts, you know? In her opinion, a marriage meant spending time together Mm. and enjoying one another's company. But Klaus wanted her to leave him alone and also give him more money and also let him live in her apartment on Fifth Avenue and also quit freaking out about the fact that he was totally cheating on her with a soap opera star. The soap opera star was Alexandra Isles. Okay, this is before my time. I, I, you know, I was born in in 58, so this is before my time. I'm sorry, sir. (laughs) I'm sure she was a great soap opera star, but I've never heard of her. Quite beautiful. I did a Google search. Okay. Um, So he wanted to marry Alexandra, but clearly Klaus was in a bit of a pickle. What was he to do about this conundrum? More on that later. Mmm, well, that doesn't sound... You're, dun, leaving, dun, dun. you're leaving me hanging here, and I'm thinking the worst. I, I'm thinking the worst. Well, 
let's see how it all turns okay. out. Okay. I'll, there are I'll a lot wait. of happy endings on this podcast. Yeah, I've so noticed we'll, that. So I'm, I'm waiting for the happy ending. Fast forward to Christmas of 1979. The whole Von Bulow family was at their Clarendon Court mansion in Rhode Island. I've Googled it. It's amazing. Everyone was having a great time. What could be better than Christmas with family? But on December 26th, Sonny and Alexander, her son from her first marriage, had a few glasses of spiked eggnog. And immediately, Sonny started acting loopy. Which, depending on who you ask, was kind of weird. Some people say that Sonny rarely drank, and when she did, she was a lightweight. So, of course, one or two drinks might make her act weird. But other people claim that she had a serious drinking problem, so one or two drinks would have no impact on her. Regardless of what was actually true, Alexander looked at his mom and was like, wow, she's sloshed, so he helped her get to bed, and then the next morning he got up early to play tennis. While he was playing tennis, Sonny's longtime maid, Maria, walked by Sonny's bedroom and heard a moan. So Maria went in, and there was Sonny on a twin bed, unconscious, and Klaus just chilling. So Maria was like, uh, we need to get her medical treatment. And Klaus was like, mm, no, not really. Just a sore throat. She's just sleeping it off. Calm down. But Maria wouldn't calm down. She was freaked out. So when Alexander came home from playing tennis, Maria was in tears. And she said, look, your mom is sick, and Klaus won't let me call a doctor. So Alexander rushed to his mom's side, and of course Klaus wasn't far behind. And Alexander tried to shake his mom awake, but she wouldn't wake up. So Klaus was there, like, oh, what should we do? And Alexander was like, call a doctor. They called the doctor, and a family physician showed up, and soon after he arrived, Sonny vomited and stopped breathing. The doctor performed CPR, got her breathing again, but Sonny was still unconscious. An ambulance came and took Sonny to the hospital, and once she got there, the doctors were like, okay, well, what the hell is going on here? And they drew some blood and figured out that she had an unusually high level of insulin in her body. Mm. Was she diabetic? Nope. Oh, oh. Somebody shot her with some insulin. <laughs> That's not good. No, it's not. Sonny wasn't diabetic, never exhibited any signs of being diabetic. So something had happened to shoot her insulin through the roof, Daryl Pitts. I'm going to guess Sonny had, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that seems kind of like the defense. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that's, that's his defense. Sonny did it to herself. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, you're definitely up, jumping ahead. Shooting up insulin. As we often do. <laughs> it's the fun new street drug, insulin. So days went by. Finally, Sonny came out of her coma. But doctors still weren't totally sure what had caused it. So they asked her, hey, did you by any chance shoot yourself full of insulin? <laughs> and she was like, no. <laughs> they asked her all kinds of questions. Was she a drug user? Was she an alcoholic? She's like, no, I'm not a drug user. I'm not an alcoholic. I mean, I do love brownies, I, but I don't know what to tell you. Hey, let me, a quick question. Uh-huh. Is Klaus a diabetic? I don't believe so. I feel like that would have come up if he was. Okay. All right. 
So I'm, the, I'm working on a theory here. Okay. okay. I don't want to share it, but I'm just, I'm, I'm this theory is bouncing around in my mind. Oh, boy. I'm, I think I speak for everyone when I say I'm very excited to hear this. <laughs> so the doctors were like, right, 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 right. Okay. You are hypoglycemic. You had low blood sugar. That's why you went into a coma. Case closed. Thank you very much. P.S. From now on, don't go too crazy with the candy. And also, don't go too long without eating. Goodbye. How old is she at this point? Oh, gosh. Good question. Probably 40s, I would assume. Okay. So Sonny went back home, and everything was normal. Except Maria the maid was quietly suspicious Mm -hmm. of Klaus. She was like, that dude acted super weird when Sonny went into her coma, and he only called the doctor because Alexandra and I basically forced him to. But, you know, Maria went about her job, and one day while she was cleaning, she found Klaus's black travel bag. So she opened it. And inside it, she found a vial of liquid plus some powder and some pills. And Maria was no dummy, so she took notes on everything she found, and she took samples of everything, and then she put it all back exactly how she'd found it. She told Sonny's daughter from her first marriage, Alla, what she'd found, and then she went to the doctor and said, here's what I found. What is it? And the doctor said, well, huh. The liquid is Valium, and the powder is a super strong sedative. We normally use it for people who have severe insomnia. But he was like, you know, I've actually prescribed both of these drugs to Sonny before, but never in this, in this form. Liquid Valium? What is that? Insomnia powder? You know, this is insane. This is not normal. He said essentially, yeah, these are legal prescription drugs technically, but they aren't in the form that you should find them in. This is really weird. Here's where things got even weirder. Maria suspected something was up. Sonny's two children from her first marriage suspected something was up. But none of them told Sonny. And none of them confronted Klaus. Meanwhile, weird stuff kept happening. And in April of 1980, Sonny started acting disoriented. And Maria called a doctor. And, oh, man, it was the hypoglycemia again. And, wow, Sonny really needed to watch her diet. So she did. And Sonny was like, damn, I guess I have to have fruit for dessert. But Maria kept checking on Klaus's little black bag, and one day she found three syringes in it. One was used. There was a new vial. It was labeled insulin. So Maria went to Alexander and was like, hey, look at this. Isn't this strange? This, this Maria is like a detective. She's, she's all over this. She, she's the only one who really is kind of figuring out what's going on. I think Alexander is onto it, too. But yeah, Maria is... But they didn't do anything. Even the doctor didn't do anything when giving that, that information. Okay, so I feel for Maria because I think maids probably see stuff and know stuff that they have to pretend not to know all the time. And I think it's part of the job to, to be a little blind and a little deaf. I... And she, she later says that she, um, she obeyed Klaus. But, I mean, clearly she felt very conflicted, so she went to Alexander, who, I, you know, has some power here. And uh, we'll get into that doctor later. Okay. So, Christmas time rolled around again, and it was time to go back to beautiful Clarendon Court. But beforehand, Klaus was like, hey, Maria, 
You work so hard. Why don't you sit this trip out? <laughs> and she said, okay. But first, she checked his suitcase. The little black bag was in it. It contained the insulin. So the family headed off for a lovely Christmas. And on December 21st, 1980, the family had a lovely evening. They had dinner, and everybody kind of had a different story on whether Sunny actually ate the meal, but they knew one thing for sure. She definitely had ice cream. It was an ice cream sundae with caramel sauce, and she definitely ate it. Then the whole family went out and watched 9 to 5. What a way to make a living. <laughs> One of your favorite songs. Are you going to sing that, Chris? Because I, I like the playlist the lady has, and I don't know whether 9 to 5 is on it. So sing a few bars for us, please. <laughs> you didn't think I was going to start from the very beginning. You know, Dolly Parton, when she was demoing that song— for Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin, is mm-hmm. that her name? Yeah. Um, she had her big fake acrylic nails, and that's how she got that start going. <laughs> See, I'm throwing facts at you. Oh. Working nine to five, what a way to make a living. Come on, oh, I'm Dad. not saying. Oh, my. Uh, no, I'm not saying. hang me out to dry. I'm not Brandy I've, over here. I've seen you in church so many years of my life pretending to sing along <laughs> to a yeah, song. And that works in church. It does not work in front of a microphone on a podcast. Right. So but you I encouraged was, me to sing a few bars. I thought you were going to chime <laughs> in. <laughs> Sorry. But that'll put it on the playlist, and so I'm excited about that. I also feel ripped off because I've heard you sing 9 to 5 many a time. And it's a pretty sweet song, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's a great song. Hearing you sing it is not always great. Um, Another fun fact about DP here. What's your other favorite Dolly Parton film? Oh, oh, Best Little Whorehouse. Oh, (laughs) my gosh. I love the Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. Texas has a whorehouse in it. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. I I wonder. Oh, uh, my favorite song out of there is Dance a Little Sidestep, the politician. (laughs) Ooh, I love to dance a little sidestep. (laughs) Now you see me. (laughs) (laughs) That is a sweet. uh, I can't think of the actor's name, but he's the governor, I think, of of Texas. And uh, he's, you know, the reporters are asking him questions and he dances a little sidestep. And now you see me. Now you don't. I've come and gone. It's a sweet song. Look it up. I tell you what, I think about five people have seen that film, and they're really excited to hear you talk about it like this. <laughs> no, what's going to happen now is that thing will blow up on the interwebs. Oh, because people, of yeah. the DP bump. Yeah, the DP bump. what they bump. call like it. Like you get the—I mean, what, you're, you go up 25% when I'm on. Oh, my God. And I think Best Little Whorehouse will—whether it's on Netflix or whatever it is, get ready for that to roll because that's, that's coming. Okay. So they got back from 9 to 5. What a way to make a living. And Klaus went off to his study, and Sunny went to the bathroom for a while, and then came out and hung out with her kids. She was drinking something. Alexander thought it was ginger ale. But the longer they hung out, though, the weirder Sunny acted. She seemed so sleepy and kind of could barely hold her glass and was kind of bobbing and weaving. And Alexander was like, Mom, are you on something? Did you take some sleeping pills? And she said no. But eventually it got so bad that Alexander just carried his mom to bed. The next morning, the whole family got up and everybody was there, but Sonny wasn't. It was normal for her to sleep in for a while, but then it got to be like 11 a.m. And they were like, okay, this is kind of ridiculous. This is like Kristen late. What? I work hard. Yeah, you work hard. Maybe not nine to five. (laughs) 
<laughs> you sleep till 11, though. No. Yeah, we don't We don't call before 11. I haven't done that in months. We usually eat lunch, and then we call you. Really? Knowing you'll be awake. Well. <laughs> no, that was that was back in the day. You don't do that anymore. I wouldn't put it past myself. 11's too late. Yeah. 10.30. I've, I've seen that number a few times when I wake up. <laughs> okay. Finally, around 11 a.m., Klaus was like, well, you know, I'll go check on her. So he went into their bedroom, came back out, and said, hey, Alexander, come here. Sunny was in the master bathroom. She was unconscious on the floor. She was bleeding from her lip, and she was in a puddle of urine. She was ice cold, but still breathing. So they called an ambulance, and Sunny was eventually transferred to Boston Hospital, or to a Boston hospital, where the doctors ran some tests and determined, you know, she was in a coma and she would never emerge from it. Ooh. Klaus was just devastated. Mm-hmm. He said things to her kids like, you know, we should probably take her off life support. If we don't, her organs will fail and the doctors will remove them one by one. Wouldn't that be awful? Also, we should probably take her off life support because it'll be so expensive to keep her alive. Um, we'll all go bankrupt. Yeah, yeah, because they don't have hardly any money. Right, because they're all so poor, yeah. When she was about to be transferred to a religious hospital, he said— we should probably take her off life support Um, because, you know, in this new hospital, because it's so religious, they are going to keep her on life support no matter what, no matter how expensive it gets, and no matter what we say. Mm -hmm. Weirdly, this all backfired. Um, The arguments didn't hold up, and it actually made the kids super suspicious of him. So they hired themselves an attorney named Richard Kuh. They filled him in on the story, and then they realized that Klaus's black bag was their smoking gun. They had to go find that black bag. Well, he's gotten rid of that by now, surely. One would think. Uh-oh. Alexander looked everywhere, couldn't find it. But at that estate at Clarendon Court, he did come across a locked closet. And this closet, according to him, had never been locked before. So he was like, all right, it's in here. So Alexander and a locksmith and one of the lawyer's investigators went to the house and got that door unlocked. And what did they find? The box. I mean, the bag. Depends on who you ask. Okay. Um, bottom line is that Alexander and the investigator came back to New York with the black bag. It contained pills and a vial of blue liquid and a syringe and some needles. The works. One of the needles had been used. So they took the bag to the family doctor, and he sent the stuff to a lab, and turns out the used needle had traces of insulin on it. And the vial was filled with a mix of Valium and a really strong sedative. None of the drugs were in a form that would be prescribed to anyone. They'd found the smoking gun. Mm-hmm. So they called the police, and the police interviewed Klaus in his Fifth Avenue apartment. He waived his right to an attorney because money can't buy you brains. And a few weeks later, (laughs) Klaus went to Clarendon Court, and the police were like, ooh, shit. Because at this point, they had that black bag. 
but they didn't want Klaus to realize it had gone missing. So the police rushed to the mansion, and Klaus greeted them in a silk robe. They had a search warrant, but Klaus was like, it's cool, go ahead, search away. And they read him his Miranda rights, and Klaus was like, oh, gee, maybe I need an attorney. And the officer was like, well, you have the right to one. But just so you know, you can end the questioning at any time. You're not under arrest. You don't have to answer every single question. And you're a rich white guy, so just calm down. <laughs> Everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be and just who's fine. this Miranda guy anyway? <laughs> That's I mean, right. What's up with that? <laughs> he sounds like a real douche. So Klaus did calm down, and he talked to the police for like two hours. Overall, they didn't get much. But it was enough. It was a circumstantial case, and it was enough for a grand jury to indict Klaus on two counts of attempted murder, one for the first coma and another for the second permanent coma. And at this point, they've told him, we have your black bag. Oh, yeah. By this point, yeah. Yeah. Klaus was in deep shit. So he hired two defense attorneys. One guy was pretty high profile, and another one was, in a, was a Rhode Island guy because this was going to be held in Rhode Island. The defense team gets up and running. And they're like, that black bag has to be excluded from this trial because it was obtained illegally. And uh, pretty please, judge, can we exclude Sonny's medical information? Because, you know, technically that's private. And with her being in a coma and all, she can't consent to handing over that information. So maybe we should all just shut up about it. <laughs> and, um... Klaus talked to the police for two hours, but that entire conversation should be thrown out because he didn't know his rights. He didn't know he was free to leave. He was scared. <laughs> scared little boy. Scared. Hey, uh, F. Lee Bailey, was he the one of the attorneys? For um, O.J. No, I'm, I'm talking about for Klaus. I know. No, okay, okay. I, for some reason I was thinking F. Lee Bailey was. Well, now you got me all paranoid that I've missed out on F. Lee Bailey. No, maybe not, maybe not. The judge was like, nope, nope to everything. And judge Thomas Needham decided that the black bag could be included as evidence because we are protected from illegal searches from state agents. But the dudes who found that black bag weren't acting as state agents. Then good the, point. Good point. It is a good point because, I, I mean, it kind of reminds me of how people get fired up about free speech and they don't realize that it just means that the government can't come after you for your speech. Yeah, you know, you can yeah. still get in trouble in a Walmart, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so then the judge was like, yeah, it's real sweet that you boys are concerned about Sonny's medical privacy. But that statute is there to protect victims. It's not to protect the accused. And Lil Klaus was well aware of his rights when he had that conversation with police. Defense motions. Denied. And when you say Little Klaus, was he a rapper at this time? Is that why he went by Little, little Klaus? <laughs> little Klaus. <laughs> That's the worst rap name ever. <laughs> little Klaus. Oh, Little Klaus, wow. You just don't know. The way you move so fast across the floor. You got me running through my mind like all the time to the point that I just want to take you home. Ooh, Klaus, Very good, Dad. <laughs> so with that, the trial got started, and it was wild. Jurors got to tour Clarendon Court. They got to see the sketchy locked closet and admire all the mauve and ivy that was no doubt splashed all over the fabulous 1980s mansion. 
I, you know what? I would like to be on that jury because I want to see that mansion. That sounds Me cool. too. That would yeah. be so fun. Yeah. Oh. The prosecutor kicked off his case by putting Alexander on the stand. Alexander told the jury the whole story. He'd never seen his mom on drugs. He'd never seen her drunk. He talked about how Klaus had complained to him about being married to his mom. And he said Klaus, you know, boo-hoo-hoo, said that he was a kept man and that Sonny stopped him from reaching his full potential as a businessman. He said that about a month before her last coma, his mom told him that she wanted to divorce Klaus. He talked about finding that black bag, and he held up well under cross-examination. Then Maria Schralhammer took the stand. She was the maid. She said that Sonny didn't have a drug problem, didn't have a drinking problem. She talked about the black bag and how she'd never told Sonny about her concerns because she was basically afraid of Klaus. She always obeyed Klaus. Then she had to admit that she had perjured him herself in the past. Oh, where? It was during her testimony to the grand jury. Uh, they wanted to know why Sonny wanted to divorce Klaus, and she said she didn't know why. But the truth was she did know why. Sonny had told her in confidence that she wanted to divorce Klaus because she felt her lifestyle was holding back Klaus's business ambitions. But Maria hadn't told the grand jury that information because she honestly thought that Sonny might recover from the coma, and she didn't want to have broken her trust for nothing. Mm. So then the prosecution spent weeks bringing medical personnel to the stand. They talked about insulin's effect on the body and a bunch of technical mumbo-jumbo. Most of it was boring as hell. That is, except for the testimony of Richard Stock, who was Sonny's family physician. He was the one who had discovered the insulin on the used needle that had been in the black bag. And he was asked, Dude, you thought someone was trying to hurt, maybe even kill your patient. Why didn't you say anything to the mm -hmm. patient? And he responded, You're on a sensitive subject, counselor. We have libel laws in this country. I can't afford to make an accusation that I can't back up in court. And the, which is the douchiest response ever. <laughs> and the attorney was like, okay, but wouldn't you have said something if you thought someone was trying to secretly inject Sonny with insulin? And the doctor said, don't you think I wish to heck I'd had mentioned it? Every time I go into her hospital room now, I say to myself, why didn't I mention this? Then the prosecution brought in the gorgeous soap opera star, Alexandra Isles. Alexandra did not want to be in court, but that was too bad, so sad. <laughs> so sad. Very sad. Too bad, so sad. So she got on the stand and was like, look, yes, I told Klaus multiple times that I wanted him to leave Sonny and marry me. And yes, he gave me the money to buy myself a BMW, but I was not his mistress. No, no. She's an actress. She's an actress. She doesn't need that money. A mistress is a kept woman, and I am not a kept woman. Then the prosecution talked money. This part is slightly complicated because a lot of the money was tied up. Uh, but the bottom line is that if Sonny died, Klaus would stand to gain about $14 million. Adjusted for inflation, $44 million. Okay. 
And in case the jury was worried that maybe it had been one of Sonny's children who had tried to kill her, they were like, nope, nobody, nope, because these super rich people don't pay their fair share of taxes, which is a, evidently a theme in this episode. <laughs> um, and I don't fully understand this tax scheme they had going, but it was basically that as long as there was some charitable work being performed, you could allow um, the family fortune to skip a generation and you avoid a ton of taxes. So I've heard about that. Really? That's why you're getting nothing. <laughs> oh, great. From the great Von Pitt's dynasty. Von Pitt's dynasty. You shall get nothing. It'll all go to Peanut, the diabetic dog. <laughs> so, you know, it's all complicated and, infu- and infuriating, but the bottom line is that the kids all stood to gain way more from their grandma dying than from their mom dying. So it didn't make sense for them to want to kill their mom. So to wrap up the prosecution's case with a pretty little bow, Klaus had tried to kill Sonny twice by giving her insulin. He did it because he wanted her money and because he wanted to be with his super hot soap opera star girlfriend. Actorice. 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 I pronounced it wrong. Um, people, should we explain that? Or is- well, uh, oh, that's right. Uh, you, you have to be in the Discord. Well, no, you have to be on Patreon at the $7 level. You see our bonus videos, and that's where I was reading from my diary about wanting to become an actress. Oh, so sign up at the $7 level to get the inside scoop on the inside joke, actress. <laughs> because most listeners who aren't in the uh, Discord, I'm sorry, are not at the $7 level. You're about to get fired from this very podcast. I am 100% owner in this podcast. You cannot fire me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, I do not pay taxes. Only little people pay taxes. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the defense took over, and their case wasn't too bad. They brought in the locksmith who said that when they got into that closet and the investigator looked in searching for that black bag, he said, it's not here. Then the butler testified, and he backed up something that Klaus had said. So get this. There was obviously some controversy over the fact that Klaus had locked that closet when the police came. But Klaus claimed that he had locked the closet not because the mysterious black bag was in there, but because he had a shotgun in that closet. And he didn't want it to be found because he thought it was illegal. Apparently, it's perfectly legal to have an unlicensed shotgun in Rhode Island, but at any rate. If you're rich. I think for anyone, but, you know, I don't know. Uh, The butler did say that, yes, there had been a shotgun in that closet. Then came Joy O'Neill. Wait a minute. This is a new name. Mm Mm-hmm. Joy was a ballerina turned fitness instructor, and, man, did she have a story to tell. She was like, yep, I know Sonny quite well. Been her personal trainer for five years. We're like sisters, really. She exercises with me five days a week. And fun fact about Sunny, she loves to inject herself with insulin. <laughs> it's her weight loss tool. Oh, my. In fact, one time we were working out together, and I was like, oh, my stomach is so fat. And she was like, just inject yourself with insulin. That'll burn up all the sugar you're getting from your daily glass of wine. I'm guessing that the fitness business wasn't doing real well, and so she was taking money on the side from uh, Klaus. Ooh. Ooh. Quite an accusation. Quite an accusation. About our good friend Joy O'Neill. It sounds weird that she 
Have you ever heard injecting? No, no, no. You don't inject yourself with insulin. That's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. so it's it, it, that's why I'm saying she's. Uh, it sounds not only incredibly dangerous, but also totally ineffective. Check her bank records, please. Well, how about this? How about the fact that the prosecution called a rebuttal witness who had all the receipts from the workout studio, which clearly showed that although, yes, Sunny did frequently go to that particular studio, she'd never had Joy O'Neill as an instructor. (laughs) Joy Mm -hmm. is making it up. Yep. The defense also brought forth witnesses who backed up their contention that perhaps Sunny had injected herself as a way to commit suicide. Mm -hmm. Which, come on. One witness was a hospital employee who claimed that while they were drawing Sunny's blood after her first coma, she confided that she had attempted suicide. Then a psychiatrist who'd spent a whopping 20 minutes with Sunny after her first coma claimed that Sunny confided that she and, she and Klaus hadn't had sex for five years and that she often wished she was dead. You know, um, they got a lot of people on the take here, it sounds to me like. I just think that psychiatrist was really good because 20 minutes sounds like she really just told her whole life story, all her, all her troubles. In short, the defense contended that Sonny had done this to herself. The jury deliberated for five days. They found him guilty on both counts. Good deal. Klaus and his legal team were pissed. The lead dude, Harold Faringer, was like, that's it. He filed for a new trial, and in the meantime, he was like, we're going on Barbara Walters. We're going on every show we can go on. And in the spring of 1982, the judge was like, nah, dude, you're not getting a new trial. We're done here. And Klaus was sentenced to 30 years in prison. Ooh. Did they go on Jerry Springer? That's where I'd go. They they were after a classier program. Oh. The Barbara Walters ba, with ba, the ba, soft ba. lighting. Ba, ba, wah, wah. Man, we used to watch the Barbara Walters stuff. What we I did with yeah. you? Yeah, yeah. We as a family, we would watch Twenty Twenty. I remember watching. Yeah, I remember watching some of it. I remember um, Gilda Radner doing "Ba Ba Wah Wah" on Saturday Night Live, and that was some good stuff. Was it Gilda Radner did it? Yeah, I'm yeah. just. You were trying to say, oh, oh, some of this stuff. I'm too young to know this stuff, and now you're talking about Gilda Radner on SNL. <laughs> <laughs> That's what that looked for. Was for. Um, So he's sentenced to 30 years in prison. But in exchange for $1 million bond, he was allowed to go free as a bird as he waited for for his appeal to go through. Things were rough for the family. Sonny's children from her first marriage, Alexandra and Alla, were very relieved that their stepfather had been convicted. Justice had been served. But Sonny and Klaus had another child together, And that child, Cosima, stood by her father. She believed in his innocence. And for that, her grandmother, slash Sonny's mom, disinherited Cosima. In other words, for siding with her father, Cosima lost out on $30 million. Mm, That's that's an expensive decision there. Mm -hmm. I think, Dad, I'd be like, Dad, I'm secretly... Your friend. <laughs> <laughs> but grandma's giving me thirty million. But grandma's in her eighties and like <laughs> let's just let's just ride this out. So a few years went by and the grandma, Annie Lori Aitken, died, and all the money went to Alexander and Allah. 
But at this point, you know, Klaus had bigger things on his mind. He was in deep shit. So he called on famed attorney and Harvard Law School faculty member, Alan, Alan Dershowitz. Dershowitz. And I'm going to skip through my little thing. I have all those names mentioned here, too. <laughs> And at this point, Klaus's former lead attorney was like, I can see when I'm not wanted. And then he left then he left Alan Dershowitz and the Rhode Island law expert to defend Klaus. Dershowitz felt like their best shot at a successful appeal would be to show that they had new evidence that hadn't been at trial. Didn't take long to drum some up. None other than Truman freaking Capote came forward to say that 30 years earlier, Sonny had shown him how to inject himself with drugs, and she told him that she was a big fan of injecting herself with drugs. Truman Capote? Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. I will say, this was in a rougher part of his life. You know, he, toward <laughs> the end, he wasn't doing so hot. Yeah. Um, but Joanne Carson, ex-wife of Johnny Carson, uh, came forward and was like, yeah, Truman's right. Truman Capote died before he could be cross-examined, so his affidavit was basically useless, and there's no reason for me to tell you any of this, but it's Truman Capote, so <laughs> you gotta mention it. Is. Um, at the same time, the defense focused on, you know, what evidence had been available at the first trial. They looked at the black bag. They found that when they looked at initial interviews, it was hard to know what exactly had been found in that black bag initially. Alexander and the private investigator had differing, differing accounts. Then there were questions about that used needle, which had insulin all over it. According to the new experts for the defense, if the needle had been injected into Sonny, then there would have been some evidence of that. There would have been tissue or blood found on the needle, not just insulin. But that needle didn't just have insulin on it. It also had Valium. But Valium wasn't found in Sonny's system. Also, they found a drug on the needle that always causes bruising, but Sonny didn't have bruises. Also, doctors couldn't find any spots where Sonny had been injected. Say what you will about Alan Dershowitz, but this appeal was very thorough. I left a lot out, um, but they really... Oh, the dude, the dude knows what he's doing. Oh, yeah, I Absolutely. Mean... Hey, if I'm ever, you know, found guilty of anything. Oh, like you could afford get, Alan Dershowitz. Oh, hey, spare no expense. <laughs> I'm going to have to sell some video games around here. <laughs> so in their brief, they made it very clear that the case against Klaus had been pretty damn shaky and that Sonny had had her share of problems. It took seven months for the Rhode Island Supreme, Supreme Court. Court. To make their decision, and they decided with defense. So in the spring of 1985, it was take two electric boogaloo, and at this point, Dershowitz had worked his magic, so he hopped into the back seat, and a dude named Thomas Puccio led the defense team. The prosecution's case was pretty similar to the first one. Maria and Alexander were the stars of the show, but this time the defense had something that they hadn't had in the first case. And it was the notes from that first New York attorney that Alexander had hired. Those notes had been kept from the defense at the first trial. And it was one of the reasons why they got a new one. Those notes showed that Maria hadn't mentioned insulin being in the bag during her first interview with the attorney. The notes also mentioned that the family had talked about paying Klaus off on the condition that he formally renounce interest in Sonny's estate. So maybe they were just greedy assholes. Mm -hmm. 
The bottom line is that in this trial, the defense was way more defensive. <laughs> they attacked all of the prosecution's witnesses and really questioned all the medical testimony. And as a result, the prosecution's case became as weak as a kitten. <laughs> and on top of that, the new judge was like, uh, prosecution, I'm not going to let you call in Sonny's banker. All that talk of money would probably just prejudice the jury. It would do more harm than good, so you got to keep it out. The prosecution was in rough shape. The defense called in experts who said that Sonny's two comas weren't consistent with an insulin overdose. The jury deliberated for four days, and they found him not, not guilty. guilty. But the legal battles continued. Alexander and Alla were certain that Klaus had tried to murder their mom. They didn't want him to profit in any way from her estate. So, ten days after he was acquitted, they sued Klaus for $56 million on behalf of their mother. The lawsuit dragged on for like a year, and finally, in 1987, they settled. Here were the conditions. Klaus agreed to divorce Sonny. He gave up all claims to her money, and he agreed to leave the country. In exchange, Cosima was written back into the dead grandma's will, and she got one-third of the estate. Alexander and Alla were deeply upset by their stepfather's acquittal, so they decided to do something about it. They reached into their very deep pockets and founded the National Center for Victims of Crime, and they also founded the Sonny Von Bulow Coma and Head Trauma Research Foundation. And uh, Sonny died in a nursing home in 2008. She oh, lived for, I believe, 28 years oh, in a coma after coma. this. Oh, my yeah, which is just horrible. And that's the story of Sonny Von Bulow. 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 That's, that's a sad story. I uh, had heard a lot of that kind of because I was of age to kind of be yeah. aware of most of that. Um, I had no idea she was in that coma for 28 years, though. Oh, my. That's terrible. Yeah, yeah. Pull the plug on me. You're done? Well, I mean— after a while, if it's clear I'm not coming out of the coma, I don't want to be living in a vegetative state for 28 Me years. either. Me yeah, either. Yeah, I know you don't. Yeah. Rip it. I don't want them to take my organs one by one, which is what they do, evidently, according <laughs> evidently, to Klaus. Klaus said to convince the kids of that. So, yeah. We'll, we'll pull the plug on you, Chris. No problem. I'll be like <laughs> Elaine Bennis on Seinfeld. Uh-huh. Rip it. Rip so, it out. Okay. What do you think, though? Do you think he did it? Um, you know— when you in the first trial, it sounded like he was guilty as hell. Yeah, but you get Dershowitz in there, and they get the conflicting stories. Yeah, but it's it sounds to me like these quote unquote experts or people who were in the know were just totally making it up. So I I think he might be guilty. I feel the same way. It's like I I don't really know. I think it's kind of a crapshoot with some of this medical stuff, um, and saying. Well, they didn't find this in her system. Well, were they looking for that in her system? Yeah. Um, well, and so much of this is revolving around money, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, obviously, everyone should be concerned with Sonny and is what did, what did Klaus do. But, oh, my gosh, 
the money comes up all the time. Yeah. And we're going to pay him off if he'll leave. And, oh, the, the, the daughter gets the money now. And, yeah, there's, a, it, there's as much money mix-up as there is <clears throat> murder mix-up. So yeah. it's, it's kind of tough. But we'll pull the plug on you, Chris. No problem. <laughs> Thank you. Well, there's going to be a lot of money at stake. I can tell you that. I've got a couple of Chili's gift cards that haven't run all the way out. I can't wait to get my hands on those. <laughs> As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. You want to take some questions from the Discord? Questions from the Discord, absolutely. You still awake? It's almost 9 o'clock. Yeah, and you know, well, go ahead, ask a few questions. But I there was a question on the last uh, Discord thing mm-hmm. and, that I want to answer. But let's, let's try what? some of these. First. Well, go ahead and get off your mind. Well, one of them came up was, what's the closest you ever came to being arrested? Oh, gosh. Okay. I've got a, I've got a story. Everybody buckle up. I hope you got half an hour more. No, I'm going to make this quick. I'm going to make this quick. So Sherry and I are out in Arizona a couple of years ago, and we are camping in a campground, a, a, a county campground. And we've been there for several days, but we needed to buy one more night. And so we pull into the to the uh, guard station there, and they've got these, you know, old people. That's anybody older than me is an old person. I was going to say. <laughs> and I wait in line for like 15 minutes to get up there, and I said, hey, I want to buy one more night of camping in here, and then we're, mm-hmm. we're out of here tomorrow. And the lady says, oh, you'll have to go get out of the line and drive over to this hut over here to pay the camping and then get back in line and get – I was like, oh, gosh, okay. So – I pull out around the little guard hut station mm-hmm. and get back in line or get ready to go over to this other guard hut thing. And, and mom says, Sheree Ray says, no, nah, let's just leave. Let's just let's just go get the motor home and leave. Yeah. So I pull up there to that line again. I thought, I'm not waiting in this line. The lady knows my story. I've talked to her already. I'm just going to pull around and go up the exit uh, into the into this uh, county campground. And so I pull around and go up the exit into the county, county campground, and we get up there and we start getting everything ready to leave. And so we pull out into this like large cul-de-sac type area, and there's four county sheriff cars. <laughs> One of them is blocking the exit. 
and the other three are looped around behind, and they come in behind me because I pull off to the side. But we're pulling off to get water, and, yeah. and Sherry is going to get water uh, to hook up to the motorhome. Well, just on a, on a hunch, I thought, they're after us for pulling into the place backwards, you know, going out the exit. You didn't really see four cop cars and think they're after me, did you? Sherry didn't. Sherry said, oh, man, somebody must have done something bad yeah. here. We got, four, we got four sheriff cars here. And so I get out, and Kristen, I was so happy because I had a— a tag for that day. So I was in there legally. And as far as I knew, I hadn't done anything. And this, I, I kind of thought that lady was kind of pissy with me when I, mm-hmm. when I said, okay, we'll have to go around and get back. And I may have given her a sarcastic oh, look. Oh, may have. May have. Oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> Which is code for absolutely did. So here's what happened. So I get out. I'm on, Sherry's on the other side of the motorhome. I'm on, on the driver's side of the motorhome where I'm out. And I get approached by a female deputy who is obviously in charge. And she is flanked by these three uh, deputies. Hold on, hold on. What exactly did they think you had done? Well, that's what we're going to find out. Okay. So uh, she approaches me, and then I, I noticed the three of them are flanking behind the ones <laughs> behind her. Were they like geese? On either side. They were, they were ready Flying to pounce. Flying south, uh-huh. And so uh, she says— uh, Sir, we have a report that you are in the park illegally without a pass and that you drove recklessly up the exit to come into the park. And I said, well, there's the Jeep right there. And as you can see, the hang tag is today's date. So I did not come in here illegally and I have a pass for today. And actually, we're leaving. You know, I had asked for an extra day, but we're leaving. And she was a little taken aback that I had a pass. Yeah, that kind of— would you get that for me? And so I went and got the pass and handed it to her. And she gave it to one of the deputies and had him run back to the, to the front, of, which is like two-mile drive back to the front uh-huh. of the park, to see if it was legal. And I'm, I am as smart-ass as you can imagine, but without actually being a smart-ass. Dad, you were absolutely a smart-ass. And I'm looking around at these guys, and I'm kind of smirking at them. Uh-huh. Kind of smirking. And I said— the lady knows the whole story. I went up and talked to her, and we decided to leave. And so I just – there's a, a quarter mile that you can see in this exit. I, there was no reckless driving. I drove up that because I'd already talked to the lady, and she knew my story. And so by that time, the deputy comes back, and he says, yeah, it's a, it's a good pass, but she wants him out of here. <laughs> and I said, no, I don't care what she wants – we're leaving. We've yeah. made that decision to leave, and that's why— You can't fire me. I quit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I wanted, you know, a total smartass, but, but you're dealing with the Maricopa County. This is Judge Arpaio. Oh, God. Yeah, this is Phoenix. And so this is Judge Arpaio. And in fact, a, a friend of mine later said, you're lucky you're white. and uh, you're, you're absolutely away. lucky you're white. Are you kidding me? So I wanted so badly to say something like— you don't have much going on that you send four guys out mm, after a Dad, retiree. Dad, you don't say that to crazy people with guns. No, no. She, she started apologizing. She says, well, normally we don't bring out four people, but, you know, these guys haven't been out here before, so I wanted to show them the place and blah, blah, blah. She's making mm-hmm. up stuff, and I am smirking at her. And they handed me that pass and eventually said, 
you need to leave. And I said, hey, can I go dump my, uh, uh, my gray and black tanks into the sewer area and fill up with water? Sure, go ahead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they were embarrassed uh, that they had fallen for the, all the lies that the lady had told on me. And uh, so that's how I almost— Was she a white lady? She was a white lady. I think there should be a special punishment for white people who call the police when it turns out to be basically nothing. She was a Karen. She was the first Karen. This was two years ago. She was the original Karen. The original Karen, except it was against another old white guy. Whatever. That's just a bad habit to get in, calling the cops on people. (laughs) It is. Chris, I'm ready for more questions. Oh, boy. Okay. Oh, okay. Someone asked a question. We've got to address this. Carrie Daniel wants to know, am I missing a lot by being too late to the party to be Facebook friends with DP? Yeah, I have uh, gone in. Actually, I thought I had uh, unfriended everyone. Did you explain that you had asked me to unfriend all no, the podcasts? No, that's why I'm bringing this up now. Oh. You guys, my dad, it's 1997 right now, and my dad is a 13-year-old girl, and I'm trying to teach him the dangers of the interwebs. Turns out you were accepting friend requests from random people who listened to the podcast. Yes, I was. And so I found out about that because somebody mentioned it in the Discord and also mentioned that all of your posts were public like a lunatic. No, no, they're not public. Oh, not you're talking anymore. about back in the day. Not you're talking about back in the day. Back in the day, a month Two weeks ago. ago month yeah, ago. okay. So I called you. I was like, listen, 13-year-old dad, only accept Facebook friend requests from people you know. Okay. And put your Facebook on private. Okay. You're like, I, okay. I did. See, I didn't remember the only f- from people you know because I didn't unfriend. Like three or four people had friended me. Uh huh. And I didn't unfriend any of them. So. Right. I must have missed the memo. So then, what happened this week? Well, this week something came on. Oh, somebody posted something saying the guy has hilarious posts. Oh, someone praised you in the Discord. Someone uh-huh. praised in Discord, and so I got like eight. Almost immediately, I got eight friend requests. Dad. You went into the Discord because you heard the applause from miles away, and you said, Kristen made Kristen made me put my Facebook on private, but see if you guys can find me and friend me. So <laughs> I said, yes! See, I don't even remember what I've done. You went in there and you said, oh, I dare you to find me. Oh, and here I am. You know, I feel like I've had a good interweb safety class with you. And then it's like I find out that some old dude sent you a webcam in the mail. So I then... <laughs> You know, you accepted a bunch of friend requests from people from the podcast. Probably in the neighborhood of 20. <laughs> so I – are you serious? I think yeah, – because there was Good eight grief. and then there were – I think there were – because when I went in and started – And I, I think I missed a couple because I de- deleted a couple today too. So, uh-huh. so anyway – I apologize to the listeners that I can't be Facebook friends with you. (laughs) Because my daughter's so mean. But I'm only 13, (laughs) and I can't take any more nude pics and send them to anybody. (laughs) (laughs) That's what the guy wanted. He wanted some nude pics of me. You know what would be really hilarious? What? This is a new version. It's X-rated to catch a predator. You, the guy thinks he's talking to a young teenage girl, and then he gets an old man <laughs> to take a picture. <laughs> That'll scare him. That'll teach him. That'll do it. So apologies to all the listeners that want to be Facebook friends with me, but it's private now, and um, no one is going <laughs> to. If if I don't have mutual friends or you know know you in some way, then no more friendships. Sorry. Solly. Okay. 
that was that Solly was an attack on me because when I was a child, you guys, and I was forced to apologize. Oh God, we're getting back to me apologizing, <laughs> and I didn't want to apologize. I would say Solly because I didn't want to have to actually say sorry. And it worked every time. Didn't yep. It? <laughs> um, no, I will say. My my strict rules with your internet usage, sir, it has nothing to do with like, you know, nothing to do with people, you know, affiliated with the podcast or anything. It's just that I think boundaries are a thing. We should use them. I'll I'll, uh, I'll not do that again. I okay. apologize. Sorry. No, it's okay. Sorry. Solly. Solly. Solly, Solly, to, <laughs> Solly to everyone around. Oh, my gosh. Someone has asked the perfect question. Okay. Dogs Like Bones wants to know, DP, what is your greatest money-saving moment? <sighs> greatest money-saving moment. Um, actually, it's it's um, this is more of a – yeah, this is a money-saving moment, but it's a money-making moment at the same time. So we have moved a lot, and we always look for homes that are undervalued. Mm-hmm. And you can find homes that are undervalued. They got bad paint jobs. They need a new roof. For whatever reason, and um, I won't give specific numbers because you're not supposed to do that, Kristen, but we bought a house 10 years ago and sold it this year for twice what we paid for it. Mm -hmm. And it's because we bought it in a down market in 2010 when the market was terrible. In fact, a lot of people couldn't get loans. And then we turned around and sold it for twice what we paid. And we didn't put that much in it. It It didn't take a whole lot to put in it, but we sold it for twice what we made. People do that all the time, uh, and it's just a matter of timing and, and hitting the market right and recognizing what a home could be instead of what it is, what it appears to be to most people. So, so we essentially lived free for 10 years and, and made a ton of money at the same time. Skill and luck. Uh, oh, a lot of luck. Yeah. A lot yeah. of luck. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and timing and skill, luck, and timing. So I guess the, the timing and the luck. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I'm saying with, like, you know, the market, you know, you, you didn't plan for that, but you you were able to kind of ride that wave and be on the good side of both of that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, it, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's I, I think about the fact that we, we had thought we'd sold our previous house, you know, six or eight months earlier. And had we done that, we wouldn't have had a chance to buy this one because mm-hmm. – this one had to come down in price. We were buying it from a bank. And so, that's that, well, there's a good tip for you. Buy foreclosures from banks because they're unemotional. Uh, they won't give them away, but they're ready to get rid of a house. They don't want to have to maintain a house. And so uh, that's the second uh, uh, foreclosure we had bought. And we made out really, really well on both of them that we bought. And we stayed in them for a few years. But, um, yeah, there's buy foreclosures if you can. How much money have you saved over the years from buying Costco Kirkland Signature tennis shoes? Uh, that's in the tens of thousands of dollars. And how many runways have you walked in them? Runways. <laughs> what you, I'm, an, I'm not a model, Kristen. <laughs> oh, oh, I know I, I look just like, look like one. I look like a model, okay. but I am not a model. Okay. But if, if Costco ever has a fashion show, you know they're going to call me. Uh, and me too, unfortunately. <laughs> 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 Michael the Moose wants to know, DP, what's your favorite non-clothing item at Costco? Non-clothing item at Costco. They got some good food at Costco. Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you, got some good food. Uh, the podcast is not sponsored by Costco, although we mention Costco <laughs> all the time. I, I love the uh, roasted chicken. 
for like five bucks. You get mm-hmm. you get a mm-hmm. roasted chicken. You know, Sherry and I make like three ma- meals out on that, and then she does soup with the kind of the scraps and, mm-hmm. and everything. Oh, that's so the the uh, um, and the dollar fifty dog with a with a drink. You got to love that too. You got to love it. I've also seen you throw down on the Costco margarita. Costco, you know, I'm kind of off of that. It's it's oh. kind of sweet, and so Dad, you're maturing in your taste. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm uh, I'm very mature, very mature. Very well, mature. I mean, when you first started drinking, you were doing the Mike's Hard Lemonades and the Costco margaritas, which is more of the you know, nineteen year old. I am a nineteen year old. I'm very young. <laughs> Are you trying to, to catch a predator me right now? <laughs> I will not be fooled. Let's see here. You're going to have to get a sponsorship from Costco. Uh, we, they owe us so much money. None of these people had heard of Costco before no, we they, started it's talking. It's a brand new deal. True Crime and Chill wants to know, DP, I'm thinking of uprooting my very good life in Arizona and moving to Tennessee. That would include new jobs and starting retirement over. Best dad advice? I'm 35 and have been saving 15%. Well, she didn't have to start retirement over. Yeah, that's... Um, I wouldn't think, unless you're in some kind of system that you have to leave everything you've, you've gotten to that point. Usually, the, uh, the money you have in a 401k or something is transferable, or you can even leave it at, with the other company. Mm-hmm. So not knowing a lot of the details, I'd say go for it if it's, uh, if it's a good move for you and your family and, and um, don't let the retirement thing be a, be a burden to you. Uh, although, if you have to walk away from a ton of money, figure out a way to make that work if you can, even if it would be – if it would mean like if you're not vested, walking back, you know, going back at some point and working a couple more years there to be able to pick up the retirement. But uh, in the case that you've got the opportunity to go to Tennessee and do something you, you like and want to do, uh, nine times out of ten, you ought to be able to do that and have it not negatively impact your retirement. I'd say go for it. Don't – don't sacrifice your uh, your short term well being uh, for uh, uh, you know uh, of like staying in a job you don't like, staying in a city you don't like. Um, hey, life's too short. Yeah, I agree. All right, with that, shall we move on to Supreme Court inductions? Let me pull up the Supreme Court inductions. All right, this week we are reading. Your names and favorite books. And to get inducted onto this podcast, you just sign up on our Patreon at the $7 level. Jesse Foote. Anything by Heather Gudenkoff. Dr. Caitlin Flynn. I know Caitlin. Caitlin! How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan. Lisa Given. A Monster Calls by Patrick Ness. Brandon Michael. In Cold Blood by Truman Capote. Michelle. A.K.A. Anastasia Beaverhausen. <laughs> Sounds made up. I'm not, uh, I'm not sure about that. Any book by Philippa Gregory. Lauren. The Stephanie Plum series. Sarah Morton. Know My Name, a memoir by Chanel Miller. Adele. The Redemption of Athelis by David and Lee Eddings. Hilda Rohr Thiessen. Anything by John Green. Amber Peterson. A Million Little Pieces by James Frey. Hazel Summer. Girl on a Train. Emily Brungard. The Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger. Carrie Marshall. Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. Justin Sir Big Boo. <laughs> 
any DC Comics. You know, I feel like Big Booty should be capitalized, and it's not capitalized here. Yeah. It should Sir, be. Sir Big Booty, please respect yourself enough to capitalize. <laughs> Brittany Cook. Random by Tom Levine. David Llewellyn. American Gods by Neil Gaiman. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Supreme, Supreme Court. Court. Guys, thank you so much for listening. This was so nice. And Dad, thank you for being on the podcast. I am happy to be on the podcast. I'm looking forward to next week. Um, <laughs> and who's that lady that g- gave up the podcast? I don't know. I don't know what happened to her. Yeah. Um, she was She was kind of fun, but... Kind of. Hey, she's gone, so she sorry. Was, yeah, she... I hope the listeners aren't going to miss her. (laughs) (laughs) I know I won't. (laughs) No, I miss Brandy so much. I was telling Norm, I was all sad today. Wait a minute. I'm coming over. Okay, I wasn't sad because you were coming over. I'm just sad because I miss my friends. Yeah, we we miss Brandy. We miss Brandy. Brandy, we're teasing. Uh, I don't own 100% of the podcast. That was was a lie. Mm -hmm. We want you back on the podcast. The listeners want you back. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I am way too lazy to to do this podcast on a weekly basis. In fact, Kristen and I had that great idea for a podcast where you ask an old white guy. You had that great idea. I'm too lazy to do it. You wanted to do a podcast (laughs) called Ask an Old White Guy where people would write in with questions for you, which I feel like in the year 2020, I mean— it's a touch too late for that podcast, but who knows? Oh, it would be hilarious. I mean, it's 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 tongue in cheek, so it would be hilarious. You'd you'd make fun of my answers. We've, no, we do this father, all the time. No, <laughs> <laughs> you make fun of my answers to questions when we talk. But so would people want to listen to that? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> They're listening <laughs> to this. There's that old white guy confidence. <laughs> there we go. There's that charm. <laughs> no, for real, Brandy, we miss you. We hope you're feeling better, guys. The plan is next week, Brandy will be back. So if not, you might get another dose of me or the incomparable Kyla. Kyla kicked butt last week. Kyla is quite good. Uh, I, I, tell I you say what. you have some competition, sir. Oh, OK. OK. Well, hey, you know, she's got a full time job yeah. raising two kids. I am basically sitting on my butt in a motorhome. Yeah, everyone knows. Doing a little hiking, a little biking, a little whatever I want. Uh-huh. And if I don't want to, I don't do it. You'll, yeah. And may I add? So Kyla has a full-time job, two kids. I told her, hey, we record this day. She was prepared that day. Well, she's used to deadlines. She's got got those jobs with deadlines. So, yeah, absolutely. Anyway, guys. With me, time is on your side, Kristen. Okay. Don't rush it. Okay. (laughs) You guys, find us on social media. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on uh, Reddit. (laughs) Brandy usually does this part. Please check out our new merch, uh, lgtcpodcast.com. We ship very quickly. Ask me how I know. I do the shipping. And, yeah, don't forget to join us next week when we'll be experts on two whole new topics. Podcast Podcast adjourned. And now for a note about our process. I read a bunch of stuff, then regurgitate it all back up in my very limited vocabulary. And I do the exact same thing Kristen does because I couldn't think of a better way to do it. So we owe a huge thank you to the real experts. For this episode, I got my info from Mark Gribben's fantastic crime library article titled The Klaus Von Bülow Case and Wikipedia. And Dad is noisily shuffling through his papers like an old man. (laughs) The reason I'm noisily shuffling through my papers and have been concerned for a little while is I don't see my bibliography. <laughs> I wonder why. 
why you kept flipping through that notebook. And I, I, am, I was pretty sure it was here, but I read some really good articles, mm-hmm. and I watched a whole damn movie that was not that interesting <laughs> on, on uh, Leona Helmsley. So uh, I apologize for, for dropping the ball on the bid. How about this? We will put your sources on lgtcpodcast.com. Please do. I will email those to you. And I apologize to the listeners for not being able to uh, tell you about all these great sources I looked at. Uh-huh. Are you going to read the last line of the outro? You don't even have it up, do you? I don't have it. Okay. Any errors are, of course, ours. Please don't take our word for it. Go read their stuff. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.